hola, hola, my name is Ricardo, I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Betty, 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 Becky, 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 Pishy, Pishy! What do you guys want to talk about? You are listening to the flagship podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. The lines are blurred between the living and the dead. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? I just watch a wrestling show ever in my life. I don't want the lines blurred between the living and the dead, Rich. I just want to watch guys wrestle. Rich Craig. He's wearing it. He's wearing it. It's a button-up shirt. It's blue, and it's purple, and there are purple giraffes all over his fucking shirt. Apologize to me right now, everybody. Rich, take that dub. And we are live on the flagship podcast. I am Rich. He is Joe. Joe, what's happening? What a busy week this is going to be, man. We got a lot to talk about. What a packed show. A lot to That's do. A lot. Um, I did notice as I was listening to the intro there, believe it or not, we both whiffed on a major topic that somehow isn't on this endless scroll of a run sheet. And um, it's funny that neither one of us brought it up and the other didn't mention it. I can't believe this. And it just occurred to me now after the show has started. Is it the National Rich, Wrestling Alliance pay-per-view? You don't have hard times listed on the run sheet. <laughs> I, I, I misspoke by calling it a pay-per-view. Indeed, it is not. It, it, or is it a pay-per-view? Or what is this thing? What is hard times? Uh, well, I will explain it to the audience. You know, okay. Last week, I had to explain to you and the listeners uh, the new model that MLW is running under, right? And I, I clarified that yep. for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the way, so uh, time... locked in on MLW right now. We're, we're, we're head-to-head with Intimidation Games, so I'm sure we're going to lose a lot of our normal live listeners uh, here. So for those of you listening a day later, uh, because you were enthralled in the world of MLW, uh, which is airing head-to-head with us uh, on Triller TV powered by Fight. But uh, I got it on the side screen. So I, any major happenings uh, in the world of MLW, I will break in, Joe, and let you know what's happening. Well, Mystico already defeated Rocky Romero for the MLW middleweight title. All right, that's, big one. Uh, that's a big one. It's big breaking news already. So, um, no, Hard Times is, in fact, this weekend, NWA Hard Times. Rich, there are no more pay-per-views. They, uh, there are no more NWA pay-per-views. Right, there right. We no talked way. about that. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. So there's the, we would have to watch this over the course of multiple episodes of NWA Power streaming on the CW app, correct? That's correct. There are two ways to watch NWA Hard Times. Number one, keep an eye on that CW app for episodes of Power. It'll break the show up in the mobile episodes. Number two is buy a ticket. So those are the only ways to see Hard Times, which... Where are we in? Dothan, Dothan, Alabama. So I do not think I'm going to be getting out to to Dothan, 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 Alabama. 
I don't think I'll be at the the, the whatever uh, Civic Center in wherever Alabama. Wow. I tell you, AWA was just in Huntsville. AWA. I was like, hold on a minute. Fern Fern's back. He's like, Holy's dead. I'm coming back. It's one more time for me. Yeah. Yeah, I heard that all sold that Ustinev toward a house down last night on the <laughs> AWA show. Um, <laughs> first, DJ Peterson. Um, no, AEW was just in Huntsville, so maybe, maybe you know, a good chance for a double dip. Someone Absolutely. goes to Dynamite Alabama. one night. Yeah, Alabama's the epicenter of professional wrestling this weekend. Over to Dothan for hard knocks, right? I have no idea how close those cities hard are times, to Hard times, hard times, hard times, hard times. Hard times, yeah, whatever the fuck. I have no idea how close those cities are to one another. Let's see. Huntsville. Since there's not enough to do tonight, let's look Let, up. Let's Google Map. Let's Google Huntsville Map Huntsville to Dothan. To Dothan. Dothan? You going with Dothan it's, or Dothan? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but let's go with Dothan. Those but, two cities, Rich, could not possibly be further away from each other in the same state. Those might be the two furthest cities from Whoa. one another in the state of Alabama. Yeah. Oh, that is one border to the other. You are from the Tennessee border all the way to the Florida-Georgia border. That is essentially a different culture. Yes. You go from one oh, city to the yes. other. <laughs> Having been to both those areas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's a four hour and 41 minute drive. So maybe not the double dip that uh, people think it is. But um, And then you can uh, scoot on over to uh, uh, Greensboro for the uh, AW Revolution show, which I think should only add another, let's see, <laughs> another, let's see how many hours. Uh, another seven hours to your drive. Uh, you can go to uh, Greensboro then, and do the uh. So a, a quick little thirteen hours of driving, but think of all the great professional wrestling you'll have seen in those thirteen hours. So so certainly worth it. Uh, if you, uh, I've got I've got uh, I'm coming up with eight and a half hours from Dothan to Greensboro. Let's see here. Well, uh, okay, so I was I was counting Huntsville to Do. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. I had it in the wrong order. Yeah, because Huntsville was Huntsville was AEW. So there we go. Okay, Dothan's so you, yeah, night. right, right. So you got to go from Huntsville to Dothan, to, Dothan to then Greensboro, to Greensboro, and yeah, thirteen right. hours of, of, of driving. Yeah, eight hours to get from uh, <laughs> eight and a half hours from Greens- Dothan to Greensboro. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's okay over under the total number of people who attended both Dynamite in Huntsville and Hard Times? In Dothan, the over under is two point five. Under, under. You take the under. I'm taking so the under. I think there's you're essentially saying I, no one. No one. I think there's. Well, if the line was two and a half, I would say people doing the double dip of dynamite to Greensboro. I would put that at like. That'd be a healthy number, I think. I'd say there's there's double digits people doing that. Now, the double am I going much higher than like 20? Probably not. But I think there's probably a couple people that have just kind of said, hey, you know what? Screw it. Let's do it. Let's go. Make it a quick little stop. Six hours, <laughs> four hours, five hours, whatever we said south to go to Dothan for, for NWA hard times with Kenzie Page versus Natalia, Mar- Natalia Markova. Uh, for your NWA World Women's Champion. Three matches, by the way, announced for the show. Um, happening in a couple days. Uh, I, I would put that I would put that at zero. I, I don't think anybody's doing that. Not one fan. I don't think one person is doing that, no. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I think Huntsville, Greensboro, there might be some. You know, not in the hardcore freakazoid days of, like, pre-pandemic. 
you know, there was a lot of traveling for you know, there was probably tons of AEW fans who would go to the go home dynamite and then the pay-per-view. It's probably less of that now. I mean, there's less people overall buying tickets. But the Greensboro show is a huge show. I mean, that's up to what, over sixteen thousand? Oh, for sure. That that's one that I had a little bit of FOMO about too. When they first announced that, I was like, Man, that'd be a fun show to go to. And I, I made the mistake of like looking at plane tickets and they were super affordable. And I was like, shit, I should go to that thing. But we always I always have this thing that we talk about where it's like it's more advantageous for me just to be home for an AEW pay-per-view to do the instant reaction or whatever. And, yeah, sure, we could do it an hour later. We do that with the, with the shows in Chicago, and it's fine. But, like, yeah, part of me is I'm, I'm looking at all that, and I'm like, ah, I mean, it's probably just easier to stay at home, hit record, hit, hit go live, you know, f- 10 minutes after the show, and, and, and it's just a little bit easier to do all that. Not to worry about hotel Wi-Fi or any shit like that. Like, the, the Chicago shows are fine because I just have to book it out of the, you know, the building and get home, and then I'm back in, in, you know, having the normal internet with my same setup. Doing this thing and trying to do this in, like, a hotel or something like that would just be, I don't know, I, it makes me nervous. So eventually I decided not to. But there were a couple times where I, I looked at tickets, and I had, I had tickets in the cart thinking, man, this would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I should probably do this. But ultimately, I'm... I'm stuck doing instant reaction live with you uh, on Sunday, but that's fine. That's a better way to watch the show anyway. Exclusively on the $10 tier. Absolutely. Flagship Patreon. Yeah, flagshippatreon.com. Whatever the fuck it is here. Um, yeah, the latest update from the WrestleTix is uh, 16,084 tickets distributed. There were uh, 46 tickets available as of yesterday, as of about 24 hours ago on the dot. So um, they just keep on adding uh rose to that now uh big business rich in boston an update just came out on that about an hour ago once again on the wrestle ticks that's the uh money debut mm-hmm. that's up to 6682 with a uh, current setup of 7563 and they have lowered the ticket prices the cheapest tickets have gone from $51 to $26 Ooh. so now that's all the way, you know, that's upstairs, back row. Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, there's, they're, at this point, just trying to sell off whatever they've got left, about 800 tickets or so. That's going to be, I mean, the biggest TV that they've done because, what was it, Arizona a couple weeks ago? They had, like, over 5,000 or something like that. And um, that'll be what? Th- this will be the biggest non-pay-per-view number uh, this year and in some time. But, you know, we'll see where the number settles. They were there for, uh, what, Blood and Guts last Blood year? Blood and Guts, yeah. A shade under 9,000. I was going to say, somewhere in the nine. I thought it was in the nine, but it, it was a shade under nine? 89.56. Okay. Call Real it 9,000. Real close. Call yeah, 9, we'll call it nine. I think, so, I, I think on the show we just said we're just going to declare that nine because that's pretty damn close. So. That was in July. They're selling about 100 tickets a day. For this uh, big business show, I don't think it's going to get to that eighty-nine fifty-six number because there's only about there's a little under two weeks left. But that's going to be a healthy television number by AEW standards. But of course, it's a number right in between where you can definitively declare Money a huge success or a bomb. Of right. course, so it's, right. a, dis- it's, it's a discourse number. <laughs> it's, it's the exact. It's a discourse number. Right. It's for the, for the 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 smooth brained you know weirdos would say ah it's not ten thousand. I thought it's unbelievable. WWE right. just had eleven thousand for Raw. You know what I mean? And they didn't have to debut anybody. So there's those people. 
the people that want to say, well, look at how, you know, like you just said there, one of the biggest houses they've had for a TV show, a non-pay-per-view show ever. So that's, you know, that that's a feather in those people's cap. Uh, so it's just going to create the absolute worst discourse as per usual. So uh, right, right ex- exactly where we all wanted it to be in the most annoying spot possible for everybody to be as annoying as possible with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, just how we were expecting to kick off a loaded show. Travel plans from Dothan to Greensboro. Uh, we're told we actually have a, uh, a, a, a residence. Ninja650R oh. says, never thought I'd hear my hometown on the flagship. It's Dothan. Dothan is how you pronounce that. Doesn't make sense. Dothan, yeah. <laughs> Dothan. 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 Ah, well, you know. Yeah. And it'll be a hard time. So uh, we just did more promotion than I think they have because it's uh, coming up this weekend. So uh, Knox and Murdoch versus the Southern Six, Alex Taylor and Kerry Morton. Uh, La Rosa Negra and Ruthie J versus Rekka Theka and Tim- <laughs> Tiffany Nieves. And Kenzie Page defending the NWA World Women's Championship against uh, Natalia Markova. And it'll be roster. a hard times, 2024. <laughs> Dothan, uh, Alabama. <laughs> Dothan uh, Civic Center, March 2nd. A, uh, get your tickets while they last. Get their tickets. Yeah. yeah. Don't don't miss out. Buy your tickets now on uh, wherever NWA sells their tickets. Well, no. Well, I mean, can you? When is the show? Isn't that like <laughs> it's March second. I guess March you 2nd, can. Saturday. You still Tell that guy time. in the chat to go. Yeah, I, he better go. We need a live report. We need a live report from NWA Hard Times because the last time yeah. we knew somebody that went to an NWA show, they just said worst show I've ever been to. Worst show I've ever been to. I don't even want to talk about it. And then they never answered any of my questions about it. It's like they had PTSD. They were like, just no, it was bad. And I don't want to talk about it. Like they've been through war. They just said, like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't really want to talk about it. Like I imagine through, you know, breathing heavily, just like, okay, I just got back from the NWA show. Rich, it's horrible. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> like, tell me about it. Tell me about it. No, I can't. I can't. And then I never heard anything about it. So I don't know what happened. And nobody knows. Like, did any, remember we said that like spoilers didn't come out, results didn't come out. It was like these shows happened in an abyss. Nobody knew about them. Nobody had spoilers. Nobody had photos. Nobody knew anything until they aired on the CW app. And even that, I don't think anybody knows uh, about it. But uh, TixR.com has uh, the uh, NWA Hard Times. uh, Whatever they're getting paid by the CW, and they undoubtedly are getting paid. I know people have their jokes, but they're not going to shut down their pay-per-view business and shut down their YouTube business for $0. They're obviously getting paid by the CW. And they're obviously being paid more than they were generating on their own pre-CW. But whatever that amount is, it's certainly not being reinvested in the roster. We do know that much. That is one sorry-ass roster. <laughs> the card has three matches on it's, it. Uh, so I don't know if uh, – it, it, NWA, what date does it air during the week on the CW app? Today, I right? No, I have no idea. <laughs> is it is today? It I, don't I don't know. Impact's on Thursday. I mean, there's a lot on Thursdays. Everyone's coming for our spot here uh, on the flagship. We got ML Dub, uh, TNA, obviously running on Thursdays. Yeah, I don't know when the NWA is on the uh, CW app, but uh, yeah. let's see. NWA Power CW app. Um, I want to say it's Thursday, but it might be Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. It's Tuesday, isn't it? I I just took your word for it. I was like, okay, good. Deal. No, I, I feel confident about Tuesdays. I think it's Tuesdays. Um, this shouldn't be as hard to find. Why do these companies make it so Let's go with Tuesday. Let's just fucking say Tuesday. Nobody cares. No Why one will call us on it. No, but now I have to know. Stream NWA Power in the CW app. All right, let me click that button. Uh, it looks like you're using an ad blocker. Oh, come on, CW. <laughs> 
Like, they want their money. I'm, they're paying I'm not that disabling. W- they're paying NWA X amount of dollars. They need to make their X amount of dollars back, Joe. Enough to, for NWA well, to get rid of their YouTube channel and pay-per-views. So you know what? Turn off your ad blocker and give Billy some money. I'm not turning it off. Where's the swink? He'll know what day it is. I don't think sure. he's, he's not in the chat right now. Uh, we oh, have Jesus. War Z is telling us Tuesday. Z is, is, is Z is with me he on does. Tuesday, so I think it's Tuesday. Yeah. All right, well, it's Tuesdays then. Okay. Yeah. Z knows what he's talking about. All right, so uh, now that we got that settled. We've done our NWA topic for the week, so there you go. There uh, goes a half hour. Yeah, <laughs> as per usual. Uh, but, yeah, we are ha- we got an absolute shit ton to talk about this week, so we don't, we don't want to mess around with too much more time here. We, of course, have two major deaths in the world of pro wrestling that we are going to talk about here very shortly. Ole Anderson and Virgil Vincent, Mike Jones, whatever you want to call him, uh, he you know passed away as long as, as well as Oli. So we're going to talk about both those guys. So huge, huge bios coming up here very, very soon. Uh, an in-depth preview of AEW Revolution coming up this weekend. As we mentioned, we are going to be going live immediately following the show uh, on Sunday night. Instant reaction live on the $10 tier, flagshippatreon.com. So make sure you subscribe for that. We always tell people, just subscribe now. There's a lot of people that will subscribe the night of an hour before we go live, when we go live, all that sort of stuff. Just subscribe now. Just do it now. You're going to get some bonus audio. You're going to get everything else we've did. So, you know, throughout the weekend, you can listen to the newest episode of Brett versus Owen. You can listen to your Thursday Dynamite review. You can listen to you, your your recap of the uh, Wrestling Observer Awards, my Elimination Chamber instant-ish reaction. So there's a lot of stuff available right now uh, on the Patreon. So if any of that sort of stuff interests you, plus you're going to get the AEW Revolution uh, instant reaction live, you may as well just subscribe right now. So flagshippatreon.com, $10 tier for that. We'll also discuss uh, on this night's show, uh, Sting's final match. Of course, we'll also discuss that on Sunday. Uh, CML wrestlers are losing their visas. Uh, We'll tell you which ones and uh, what happened and how this all went down. Some fallout from WWE's Elimination Chamber. We're not going to go into too in-depth because I did do an uh, uh, instant-ish reaction uh, the day of the show uh, for Elimination Chamber. But, Joe, we need your thoughts on uh, Elimination Chamber. We also have uh, Maxine Dupree-Gate. Joe, is it okay to boo wrestlers? We are going to talk about that later in the show and get your reaction and, and your thoughts. Because maybe, you know what? You might be surprised. Maybe Joe thinks booing is bad and you should be nice to people who are trying their hardest. But we'll find out uh, in a little bit here what Joe's thoughts are on Maxine Dupree Gate. Uh, we will also talk about the Wrestling Observer results, Wrestling Observer Award results. Uh, you did a, a, a show kind of breaking those down. I'll give my thoughts about the results and some other stuff that we maybe dug into uh, and, and want to discuss about the Observer Awards results. Uh, New Japan, New Beginning in Sapporo, Night 1 and Night 2. We'll do reviews of those shows uh, as well as talk about some bizarre uh, booking in New Japan Pro Wrestling as well as some of their upcoming shows coming up, including the uh, anniversary show, 52nd anniversary show, uh, New Japan Cup and a few other things as well as Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, Going to miss time with an injury. MLW Intimidation Games going on live right now. We will uh, get you kind of ready for that if you want to watch it uh, later in the night or this weekend. Uh, And then uh, we'll start here as uh, not really the nicest way to start, but something that we have to kind of keep an eye on as the story is going to continue to fester and continue to be top of mind for for us and should be top of mind for everybody uh, in the pro wrestling world. And that's latest accusations uh, against Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation, WWE. Uh, first, there was two. I'll start with Nick Dinsmore. Obviously, the former Eugene uh, went on to his Eugene Behind the Scenes podcast and uh, alleges that former senior director of talent relations at WWE, Mark Carano, trapped his then uh, or his future wife, I guess then just fiance. I, I forget if it was fiance or girlfriend at the time, but his future wife 
in a bathroom at a, I believe, a Texas roadhouse, right? Or was it a Longhorn Steakhouse? I forget where it was. It was some insert chain uh, steakhouse there. Uh, not, not relevant whatsoever to the story. Uh, to make a pass at her, uh, Dinsmore claims that he let WBHR know about the incident in 2015, but is not sure that anything was done about it. So he didn't get into, get into that many more details, essentially just that Mark Carano did this to his wife at a, at a restaurant, tried to make a pass at her. Dinsmore said something. WHR said, okay, yeah, sure, we'll, 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 we're listening. Yeah, okay, okay. And then he's not sure that anything ever happened with it. More than just made a pass at her, uh, uh, allegedly followed her into a bathroom and then used his foot to block the exit and was trying to force himself on her, was the story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then uh, the, the second facet of it is what you noted. Essentially what it sounded to me is um, then, then he was released from his job as a coach and in what was either the conversation where he was terminated or his exit interview, one or the other, he reported the incident and he knows that there was an HR person on the call because it was um, either an exit interview or him being terminated. So generally, you'll have the person who's terminating you and or an HR person if that's not the person who's firing you, right? Right, that's right, That's usually right. how it works. So he knows there was an HR person on the call in addition to whoever his superior was who let him go. He reported the incident and, um, you know, Carano was was employed. He's not employed anymore, but he was employed long after that. So obviously nothing was, um, to his knowledge at least, was done about it. So that was um, new incident number one. Right. Well, you know what's funny about culture. this? You know what's funny about this? It's not that new of an incident. And and I, I remember this story happening a couple years ago, and I remember people talking about it, and then people, as usual, just ignored it or moved on or, or, or just did whatever. But in doing research for this story, this most recent one, I came across this article from uh, April 2021, and this was when Mark Carano was, I believe, released from WWE or, or fired or whatever. I, f- I forget exactly how he you know got terminated or whatever, but he was you know former head of talent relations at that time, and there was an allegation that he stole title belts from the company, that he just decided to put them in his bag or something and kind of walk away or do whatever. And Nick Dinsmore, and the, the tweet is still up, April 24th, 2021. It says, quote, Hey, Pinky, where does he store his sexual assault allegations? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he sent another tweet that said, I think it might just be the tip of the iceberg of creepiness. Right. So, so he's kind of, you know, he did sort of make a mention of it all those many years ago now about Mark Carano. And, and people just kind of forgot about it, myself included. And now that he's, you know, put his actual name on it and, and given the actual allegations there, it makes those tweets in 2021 make a little bit more sense there from, from, from Dinsmore, who at that point had left the company. It was no longer you know, employed by them. 2015 was when all of this went down. Yeah, right, right. So there you go. So that's uh, when I say new incident, I, just new to this current wave of, right. you know, with the, with the lawsuit against the company and against Vince, uh, another incident has resurfaced maybe is a better way to put it. Another right, resurfaced right. incident. Well, I, I completely uh, forgot about that pri- uh, the previous time too. I don't think I gave any attention to it or any. Uh, so I'm as ju- I'm as guilty as everybody else about not really paying attention uh, when Didsmore uh, mentioned that. But uh, uh, the next one that came out this week uh, was Nick Kaninsky, uh, who was former wrestler, uh, WWE wrestler. He appeared on the Pollock and Thurston show, uh, and for the first time publicly revealed that he was propositioned by a WWF official later named as Terry Garvin, who 
very famous name for uh, sexual abuse allegations uh, throughout the 80s uh, in, and 90s in the WWF. And so he was propositioned by a official Terry Garvin. Very similar to the Jim Powers story we talked about uh, a couple either a couple weeks ago or maybe last week. And Kanitsky says that he you know alerted Vince McMahon to what happened. Uh, Kanitsky uh, alleges that McMahon said, oh, okay, I'll deal with it. And Vince obviously did not deal with it. Garvin continued to work with the company into the 90s. One of the central figures of WF's 1992 sexual assault uh, or sexual misconduct allegations. And Kanitsky was, you know, fired or, or left the company very soon. No, after. he left. So, so here's here's the Kanitsky deal. So, um, he's obviously the son of former NWA World Champion Gene Kanitsky. Right. Sure. Nick Kanitsky. He had a brother Kelly Kanitsky who was also in wrestling. So, um, he came into the company. He wasn't there long, maybe about a year, I think. From uh, if you don't mind, can you pull it up or no? Uh, yeah, yeah. Up you... I think from mid eighty five to mid eighty six, or mid eighty six to mid eighty seven. But I think it was eighty five. I six. think you're right, but so, let me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was eighty five is when he started. And I don't know how long he lasted right. in the he, WWE. He lasted but... into eighty six. He was there about a year. So actually, he was there May May of eighty seven was actually his last match. So it was eighty six to eighty seven, not yeah. eighty five to eighty six. Uh, okay. Correct. So yes, I... he starts. Uh, August of 86 and lasts all the way through May of 87. Right. So a little less than a year from 86 to 87. And very similar story that we've heard over the years from a number of wrestlers. Jim Powers, uh, Barry Orton tells a similar story all about Terry Garvin. Some some people allege that Pat Patterson uh, pulled the same routine, which was, listen, you let me perform oral sex on you and we've got a big push coming your way. And that's what he claims he was told by Terry Garvin. Turned him down, um, tried to joke about it, like, ah, you know, Terry, that's not my thing. I'm not interested. But um, says every time he ran into Terry Garvin, uh, Garvin would bring it back up, you know, in a, in a jovial, joking manner. But, you know, essentially trying to uh, uh, coerce him to do it, you know. Um, and Kaniski never went for it. And, you know, it came with the same promise of a push. He basically told him, look, I need you to lose a few pounds. And, um, and, and we've got a push coming for you and he lost the weight and the push never came. And the more he rejected Garvin's advances, in fact, the less he was being pushed at that point. So he kind of saw the writing on the wall and understood what was going on. And that's when he went to report it to Vince and, uh, Vince gave him the line, Oh, okay, I'll deal with it. And, uh, when he, at the next set of tapings and, and, and through the next, go round of the circuit when he saw his push wasn't improving and nothing was really done about it. And Garvin was still pestering him about it and making jokes. That's when he said, you know what? I don't need this shit. And uh, he quit. He was not fired. Okay. Okay. So he, he, quit. he, he, yeah, he gave his notice to Vince and Vince told him, you know what? I don't even need you to finish up. And that was that. And that was the end of him. And in fact, uh, Pollock, John Pollock, you know, did some research on the on the house shows, and there were a number of house shows uh, where uh, on the history of WWF site where they do a really good job, where it says that the Nick Kaniski versus you know whoever match was scheduled but never happened because because obviously he had been, which lines up with his story. That yeah, okay, noticed. that makes yeah, Vince that makes perfect sense him. then. Yeah, and if Vince said no, just hit the bricks now. So these advertised matches never happened because he was had been, you know, he quit slash was was told to go home. So I know he um, he did pop up in the AWA briefly after that, mm -hmm. but then that was it for his career as a pro wrestler. And, uh, he's done by yeah January eighty eight. He's he's completely done. Yeah, he walked away and and uh, he told Pollock and Thurston that he really stopped following the business closely. 
He didn't know a ton about the scandals that would come a few years later with Mel Phillips and Terry Garvin. He wasn't um, totally up to up, up to speed on all of that because he had just left wrestling behind and he opened up a couple of bars um, where he lives, I believe, in the Pacific Northwest area. And uh, that was it for him. Now, he did say, and, and, and Greg Oliver, I think, even tweeted this. He had told Greg Oliver this story around 2006. And he had told other people as well, but he didn't want to go public with these allegations or anything because he didn't want to come across as the disgruntled guy who never made it. Right, right. Which is a very easy way to paint him, you know, as, ah, yeah, well, he was no good. You know what I mean? Like literally Vince, you know, did when other employees, you know, would, would say, Hey, I was propositioned by members of your staff. And Vince would then retort, well, you weren't very good at your job. That has happened on live uh, national television before. So, um, yeah, yeah. I guess he didn't even want people to think that he was just some bitter guy who was making up stories to, to explain why he never made it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially at that time for, for people that weren't around during this period of, of the mid 2000s sorry to cut you off there but that was like the epicenter of and we're gonna talk about Ole Anderson here in, in a little bit that was like ground zero the the the, the top tier, like old wrestlers doing shoot interviews and just being bitter about the business that that was like the industry at that time so I think a lot of guys were worried about how that how they would come across in that era of being oh here's just another bitter old wrestler who you know got passed over or the business passed them by or whatever so here he is doing a shoot interview bitching and moaning and 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 complaining and making up stuff i mean goddamn nails you know <laughs> that that one still gets laughed about of nails saying that hey vince McMahon, you know sexually assaulted me and people still laugh him off and oh my god look at this idiot here and it's like you know eh, i don't know maybe but like especially in that you know mid-2000s i think there was a, a lot of guys that maybe were a little worried about what the reputations were going to be like uh, and, and and maybe he was one of those, too, that just realized that that's how he would get painted if, if that's when he brought it up. So there's another key component to this. Number one, Garvin propositioned him and then continued to pressure him to the point where the man quit. OK, that's number one. Number two, he reported it to Vince McMahon. That's number two. Number three, and good job by by uh, John and Brandon here. They then played a clip of Vince McMahon from Larry King live from one of his appearances on Larry King live many years later where Larry King asks Vince McMahon directly, have you been privy to, or are you aware of, or did anybody ever report this sexual misconduct to you? This during the scandals involving Terry Garvin and Vince, you know, and I'm paraphrasing basically says no one ever reported anything like, like that to me, it would be taken care of and handled. Now, if there's homosexuals in the locker room, of course, there's going to be some horseplay. I think he said something like that, Jesus. which is preposterous. Why <laughs> would there be horseplay? Ah, you, you know those yeah. homosexuals. Oh, my you know, God. You know the gays and their uh, horseplay, you know, and those wacky gays, you know. Always but, getting um, into mischief backstage in my locker room. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, burn this company to the yeah. ground. God. It's like Silvio Dante on The Sopranos where, where they find out Vito's gang. He's like, well, you know, they're always sneaking around. It makes them devious. You know, like it's ridiculous uh, what we're talking about. Just, <laughs> you know, it's uh, but uh, so anyway, the point of the playing the clip was that here we have Vince some five, six, seven years later, whatever that Larry King appearance was denying that anyone had ever reported that kind of thing to him, which if you if you would to believe Nick Kaniski is just a flat out lie because right. he just told everybody that he reported the events. So um, 
you know, obviously Vince doesn't come off credible at all in the clip and Kaniski comes off more than credible. I mean, this is a guy who simply left wrestling behind, moved on with his life, has had a successful life, didn't want to report it because he didn't want to deal with the nonsense of being called a liar and someone who was bitter. And, and, and here, and here's two more good points that relate back to the conversations we've been having every week. Number one, um, you keep talking about how it's wrestling related media that need to stay on top of things here. Yeah. And here's post and Brandon Thurston mm-hmm. in conjunction, doing a good job and staying on top of it and scoring a big interview and, uh, and keeping the flame alive on the story within wrestling media. Okay. So that's number one, good job out of them. And um, the, it's an excellent interview and I recommend everybody watch it. Number two is something that I've been beating the drum on and talking about Kaniski mentions in the interview that well well Pollock or third one or the other brings up the Paul Roma interview that resurfaced with Jim Powers and uh Kaniski mentioned that he did see it and that that's what emboldened him to come out and tell a story and this is exactly what I've been talking about over the last few weeks I feel like there's a lot more to come because the more these stories come out the more people feel emboldened or safe or or um or or uh, or just brave enough to tell these stories that they've been keeping to themselves well you're not alone or or just to close confidence you're you're not alone now it's like oh wait okay you had a very similar experience to me okay well now i now i feel more i don't feel like i'm the one lone voice here that like like kanitsky didn't want to come out in in the the mid 20 you know mid 2000s feeling like he might be the only guy and on an island or whatever now 1987 he's not wanted to say anything publicly but then he sees paul roma do the do that uh, do the news rounds or or go on that news show and then his other interview resurfaced and he flat out admitted that that's why he came forward and decided to finally go public with his story and that's exactly what I've been talking about the last few weeks and I don't think he's going to be the last one and I don't think he's going to be the only one and I think that more of these skeletons are going to emerge from the WWE closet as a result so. Uh, you know that here's two more stories that have Absolutely. resurfaced. That's why that's why and, the conversation needs to continue, and the conversation and, and people need you know, just talk to people, ask people. You know that that the more that we keep this story alive, like yeah, more people might be privy to come out or or or, or feel not necessarily obligated to come out, but feel more safe coming out with their stories and, and, and mentioning what happened to them. And, and, and this is, this is how things happen. You know what I mean? They don't happen by sitting and waiting around. Oh, I'm sure somebody will do something. Well, no, sometimes you got to go out uh, and do it on your own. So yeah, credit to, uh, uh, def- definitely credit to, uh, Pollock and Thurston for, for doing that. And I know they had John Arezzi on, uh, this week yeah. as well. And, and Arezzi did a great job with the nineties. Well, uh, yeah, Arezzi scandals. was one of the only people covering the story to begin. It was Arezzi, right. Dave Meltzer. It was a little early for, for Wade. Muchnick, um, Muchnick was doing a lot then too, right? Uh, yeah. Well, Muchnick. Well, which Muchnick? Irv Muchnick or Irv, Phil Muchnick? Irv. No. Yeah, I mean Phil, right? All right. Oh, I forget well, at that time. The, Irv Muchnick is the one related to Sam, who wrote the Wrestling Babylon book. Right, so Irv, Phil Irv, Muchnick Irv. is no. the New York is the New York media reporter who's always had. I was going to say has always had a hard on for Vince, bad turn of phrase in this scenario, but has yeah. always had, has always had it out for Vince. Um, and, and has hated Vince McMahon for many, many years. So there's, and they spell their names differently as well. But, uh, but yeah, that whole gang from that era, 
and Arezzi was a big part of that. Arezzi was on the Donahue show with Meltzer and, and superstar Billy Graham and Bruno San Martino, that, that you know, infamous Donahue episode where they sniffed out the, the, the plan that Vince had concocted with Tom Cole, where he had Cole sitting next to, I believe, Elizabeth and maybe Linda, too. I can't remember if Linda was there as well. But the idea was that at some point someone was going to bring up Tom Cole and then Vince's big gotcha moment was going to be that Tom Cole was going to stand up with Elizabeth and defend Vince. But they sniffed it out. I think it was Barry Orton, in fact, who spotted, who said, hey, look, I haven't, I've been out of contact with Tom Cole. And it's it's a little suspicious. And then he warned everybody else, Bruno and and and, and Graham and, and Meltzer, don't bring up Tom Cole because I think something's up here. And it was. And, and, and McMahon was setting a trap, basically, on the Donahue show. And it didn't work because nobody brought him up. So there was no reason for him to be addressed. But, um... Yeah, so uh, one other thing that I think, Rich, what what do Nick Kaniski, Jim Powers, Barry Orton, what do they all have in common aside from being propositioned by Terry Garvin? Uh, the, the obvious thing is there are three guys who never got pushed. Never got pushed. It looked like they all had potential and were getting to a certain point, and then it felt like their push got cut off very quickly, and then they were out of the company very soon thereafter without ever getting pushed three guys who never got pushed and very shortly thereafter were gone so you could draw your own conclusions you know and you know Kaniski, roma they all maintain that there were some guys who 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 did go along with garvin and whoever else and 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 allowed this to happen and you know, maybe maybe those people were pushed as a result. Maybe the promised pushes did come for those guys, and and it's uh, what a terrible position to be put in. Absolutely, know? it's yeah, and just and two as, more stories that speak to the company culture that's absolutely. been there for decades and decades and decades. And as as you know, as um, I believe Kaniski told it, and I forget if it, it it's similar ish stories to to what Powers and and what Barry uh, O had said about it too was. Essentially, that you know, Garvin would bring it up as, "Look, I you don't have to. You can. I think he uh, Kaniski even says like Garvin says, hey, you can look at a Playboy or whatever, man. Just you know, let me do it, and then you know, do whatever you want to do. Focus on whatever you want to focus on, but let me do it. And you right. know, it's nothing. I'm not. It's nothing more than that. But I, you got to let me do what I need to do. You know, it's a weird stuff. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, God, it's fucking gross. And yeah. it, it's just, yeah, it, it's. It's just awful that anybody was put in that situation. And you'd imagine if, hey, do you want to get pushed and become a star in this industry or do you not want to become a star in this industry and we can fire you and de-push you? Like, you can see how a lot of people are put in this awful, horrific situation. And whether this – I don't think this ended in, you know, 1987. I don't think this ended in 1991. I don't think this ended. You know, what we're finding out is that this might not have ended ever, you know, until very, very recently did this sort of – company culture end and and it's it's very disturbing and um yeah the, the fact that all three of these guys stories are pretty much exactly the same with the exact yeah. same person i mean that's a lot of that's very and very you know there's probably and you know there's probably a bunch more oh and, there's probably and, a bunch even... more i just mean it's very coordinated if, if you're like oh they're lying or whatever very coordinated lying from a guy who very lives in the pacific lying. northwest and has nothing to do with wrestling anymore <laughs> and, and 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 jim power you know these guys these aren't three of you know lifelong best friends, Barry O, Jim Powers, and you know Nick Kaninsky, but their stories are exactly the same. 
Well, as I noted last week, Paul Roma and Jim Powers don't even like each other. Right. And Paul Roma's co-signing the story. Like, yeah, that happens. You know, and um, because Paul Roma, and I, I, this is probably the wrong attitude for him to have. He was annoyed that Jim Powers went and complained to the agents about it. He's like, you're killing our push. Right, you're killing our push. Which, because <laughs> now we're dead. Now, you know, we. But again, think Roma of the situation saw, you're put in. Think of the situation you're yes, put in. And, and Paul Roma like, oh, saw man, what happened. Come on. <laughs> you fucked our spot well, up. Yeah, and because like... Roma saw what happened to Nick Kaniski and everybody else. <laughs> right. Oh, God. You know, and, um, you know, and, and, and you, you have to think. I mean, it was either. I, I get mixed up now because there's been so many lately, but either it was Kaniski, Roma, or Powers, one of the three, where I heard them say, like, look, there were other guys who were were asked to participate in this who just threw their hands and quit you know and just walked out and they got the fuck out of there you know and and you know it just makes you wonder i mean the litany of of wrestlers who would come in and out of the company during that time period in the mid to the mid 80s through the late night to the mid 80s through the early 90s that just would come in and disappear and it would be you know, obviously irresponsible to just start throwing names out there. Oh, but, of course, yeah. I mean, but I mean, you know, you know that this happens to many more of these guys. You know, a lot of them just quit out of nowhere. Like Kaniski, you know, he he was smart enough to understand his booking patterns. Not only didn't change, but in his in his mind got worse after he was saying no. And then he said the final straw was something about, you know, he was booked on a show and then taken off a show. And it happened to be a show Hulk Hogan was on. And those were the the biggest payoffs because those were the biggest houses. And then he's like, not only is my push not coming, I I think I'm being punished. Right. Now now you're not letting me get paid. You know, I I was supposed to work this show that was going to make money. And now you're taking me off this show. So now, now, yeah, now I'm not being paid as well. Yeah. So that he said was his final straw. And he. And and he seemed to remember it as being in Cal, uh, California loop. He kept mentioning Los Angeles, and he said maybe the Cal Palace. Now, you know, I looked up his results, and it didn't really um, match up. But look, this is like 40 years ago. You know, it, it, it's... And, and, and clearly not 40, a guy who's been thinking about wrestling all the time. He's not... He's like one of those right, progressing exactly. lifer dudes. They they can recall stuff, you know, very perfectly and, and, and do... But, but a guy who's been out of it for, for that long, I'm sure his, his the, the details are, are sketchy. You know, in terms of what town hey, or whatever. Hey, look, I mean, my career takes me, ha- has taken me to towns all over the place. And if you ask me what specific town I was in when I, you know, had to terminate a certain employee or, or, or and, and I have to try to remember what's, I wouldn't fucking know where I was 10 years ago. This was 40 years ago. So, you know, when it comes to like hazy memory and stuff, I don't think anyone should go down that route if he's got some of his cities mixed up or whatnot, which... Um, which again, Pollock found the end of his run and found a bunch of shows where it said his match was scheduled but didn't take place, which lines up with the idea that it was a quick exit without a uh, without a notice. So that's the uh, that's the latest on the uh, WWE lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right, so let's move on to uh, you know what? Hey, for the first time ever, we got a perfect transition from. Uh, the WWE accusations, right, to uh, well, the death of Ole Anderson. <laughs> so uh, Ole Anderson, Alan Rogowski, I believe is how you pronounce his, uh, his actual yeah. name. But uh, everybody that listening to this knows him as Ole Anderson. Uh, passed away earlier this week. Uh, a legendary career in pro wrestling, both as a booker, 
as a wrestler, as a figure, even after uh, his days wrestling. Uh, an all-time asshole, by the way, for, for the record. One of the all-time pro wrestling assholes. <laughs> like, one of what, like, I, I know Dave has mentioned a bunch of stories, and he's got a bunch more that he's going to do in the Wrestling Observer this week. But, but well-known by pretty much everybody as, like, the pro wrestling asshole. I think one guy said he'd make Satan miserable. Like, just, just you know. <laughs> just a little cantankerous. A little cantankerous. <laughs> like, old, like, old man, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, his rep was definitely that. Yeah, this guy is a fucking asshole. And, but a little he, grouchy, little, you know. Just Oli. You know what I mean? A lot of people just would say Oli, and then, you know, wrestlers go, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, you, it was one word, and it said uh, enough. But uh, passed away at 81 uh, earlier this week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just an unbelievably legendary and unbelievably long uh, pro wrestling career. And I don't even know. I mean, Joe, where the hell do we even start with this? Trying to break down the career of of, of Ole. Yeah. The the original Rock, right? Al the Rock Rogowski. He can't call himself that anymore. The Rock now uh, uh, owns all of the rights per the uh, WWE earnings call. The Rock is the only man that can call himself The Rock anymore. How would that work? Because, obviously... This guy was the rock decades before Dwayne Johnson was the rock. Don Morocco was the rock a couple of decades before or one decade before Dwayne Johnson was the rock. Tim Raines. Right. Um, so, that, so he owns the rock for his own usage. Right. But he could he wouldn't be able to stop like. I don't even know what scenario it would come up with, but can can WWE market a Don the Rock Morocco uh, biography on Peacock. Of course they can, right? Like he's got the I, usage for. I don't know. Himself. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to dig in a little bit. I mean, I, I am now waiting with bated breath for the Peacock documentary about Don the Rock Morocco. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Is that coming or what? Is that you real? Know, that, or? That, that, the, the, the Don Morocco uh, Rock era was just when he was juiced up post babyface turn. Fuck yeah, he was uh, awesome. He was so juiced up, and uh, yeah, they're they're uh, back. A uh, and E's doing yeah. their. You know, they have their WWE content. Uh, and I think they just restarted that. The WWE Rivals and, you know, Decades and all that sort of stuff. So uh, good opportunity for them to dust off all the, the Don, the Rock Morocco uh, uh, footage. That's how I always knew him. Because when I really started watching yeah. wrestling, he was The Rock. So I, I don't really know of Don Morocco pre The Rock. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, Magnificent Morocco. Yeah, I, I really don't. Yeah, I, 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 like a later I would find out about the Magnificent Morocco days. But to me, he's always Don The Rock Morocco. And he's just, you know, fucking a brick shit house like you've never seen before. I, I, I've said it many times. I have never ever seen a body transformation quite like his he was just how old was he in 1988 let's look that up real don quick. morocco was don i got morocco you born? i got you i got you here don morocco be about 40. he was born in 1949 so what year did you want he's 88 so he was 39 yeah he was 39 that's uh quite a lot of mass so, to add in at uh, age 39 at, at 39 he went from a guy who early in his career he had like a lean athletic build but was clearly someone who if he wasn't careful was going to get a little flabby and then that's what happened as his career moved along he was never a guy who was in who was in awful shape but he was never a guy who was a, a tremendous physical specimen either he kind of looked and like then, a refrigerator he was kind of shaped like a refrigerator for a little bit you know like kind of kind of yeah. light shoulders big on the in the waist or whatever just yeah exactly like you're describing kind of had like a uh a little bit of like a stan hansen body a little bit of a genitru tenru body like that sort of he he in the early his 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 strongest push in the early eighties, you know, the stuff with Snooka and all of that, he was a great worker. I mean, Morocco was outstanding. And then he started to get lazy, you know, and 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 during the Hulkamania era, and then they they 
is it, did he die or did Ole Anderson die? But but then um he uh he did the baby face turn and and just almost overnight like he he came on TV <laughs> and he looked like Lou Ferrigno like in the face and the body absolutely like, yeah hundred percent looked like Lou Ferrigno. Like how did he, he had those veins in his shoulders like I I had never seen a body transformation before or since that Don Morocco went through at the age of fucking forty and you know they renamed him The Rock. Uh, which I guess was a play on his last name of Morocco, but also because, well, he was a fucking brick shithouse now. And then he had that baby face run for about a year. And then he left the company and the body was just gone immediately again. And then he pops up in ECW in 1993 and he looks like a fucking meatball. It, it is so bizarre. <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. How for one year Steroids are a life, hell of a drug, man. Especially though, that oh era of steroids. God. Yeah, that era of steroids was uh, wild shit there. For one year of his life, though, he had the greatest body I've ever seen. Absolutely, yeah. It, it was it was ridiculous. looked like a competition um, level bodybuilder. Like literally looked yes. like he could go on a stage with Lou Ferrigno and compete in a bodybuilding competition. He looked like his skin was gonna burst. At <laughs> those moment. veins, the veins. I always wanted to like just touch those veins just to see what they felt like because they were just man. Like I didn't even know you have veins yeah. there. Did, did you know you had veins there? Are you aware of that? Your sh- above I, your shoulder, there's this giant vein. I I wasn't so vascular just incredibly vascular <laughs> but um that's not anyway, why you called that's not why you called it's not why Anderson. You, you know the, the 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 previous rocks in pro wrestling including al the rock Rogowski. yeah i mean he's from minnesota uh trained by Vern Gagne. Meltzer told the funny story this week of how he went to wrestling training and training and Vern said well which one of us do you want to get on the mat with because you know back then you'd have to really wrestle and they would beat the shit out of you to uh to break in and he he picked the smallest guy in the room who happened to be Danny Hodge who then oh. wiped the fucking mat with him. <laughs> yeah, whoops. Um you know, and years later in typical Oli fashion, he claims all along that he always knew it was Danny Hodge. Ah, of course. Oh, the smartest guy in the room. Oli always the smartest guy Oli. in the room for sure, yeah. Backing out smart Oli. Um That reminds know, me of wasn't but, it Vince that said uh, I'll take the little guy and he was talking about Frank Shamrock when uh when when was it yes, Frank Shamrock Chris there? Yeah. Yes, yeah, if people do not know this story, this is when the um Chris Jericho was doing the match at WrestleMania with Mickey Rourke when the wrestler was coming yes. around or whatever. And Rourke had his like little entourage or whatever. And Frank Shamrock was part of that. And there was this idea that like Rourke was going to shoot on Jericho or Jericho was well, going to shoot. Okay. It was, it was all just pro. The idea bullshit. was Mickey, Rourke, Mickey Rourke brought his shooter buddies in case things didn't go as planned. Yeah, right. Right. In case Jericho and, started and, shooting on him right. or whatever. So Frank Shamrock was one of them. And and that, you know, there was no chance that Chris Jericho was going to try to shoot on Mickey Rourke. But Mickey Rourke doesn't know any of these people. It, it, he was coming off of The Wrestler, and that's why they wanted to book him. And so he brought Frank Shamrock and a couple other guys with him. And as Rich said, the funny story was um, when they figured out that he brought this entourage, uh, Vince said to Jericho, I'll take that guy. And it happened to be Frank Shamrock. <laughs> I'll take the, the little guy. <laughs> the yeah. little guy is... <laughs> MMA star, MMA Frank pioneer Shamrock. legend, who <laughs> right, Frank Shamrock, who uh, I feel could probably beat Vince McMahon in a fight. There'd be the no lawsuit today because he'd be dead. He would have been murdered by Frank yeah. Shamrock. <laughs> I'll take the little guy. <laughs> I'll but, take um, the little guy. <laughs> it's yeah. Frank Shamrock. I'll handle that little fella. You know, and you, and, and, and you could be sure he thought he could. Oh, There's absolutely. No doubt about yeah. It. yeah. But, um, but obviously nothing came of it and just it went off fine. But um yeah, so yeah, and then I mean, you know, Ole Anderson had a long career spanning from the late sixties all the way into the early nineties. I think best known, he's one of those guys who's predominantly known as a great tag team wrestler. You know, whether it was one with one of his three 
worked brothers, uh, Gene Anderson, Lars Anderson, and then later uh, Arn Anderson, who early on, people might not remember this, but he was billed as a nephew of Ole's. I don't think they designated which of the other brothers he was the son of, but that didn't last long. And he was eventually um, just billed as a brother. Like like the rest of them, and Oli obviously is a lot younger than the others. This is way after Gene and Lars were pretty much done, and they continued the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, which was the name of all of the various different combinations of Anderson brothers uh, when they would team with one another. Whether it was Gene and Lars, or Gene and Oli, or Gene Lars and Oli as a six man team, or later on Oli with uh, with Arn, and you know they were always billed as the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, and there was even a point. Uh, in the either 89 or maybe the maybe 90. I think it was probably 90 when the AWA, when when the Destruction Crew, Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom were one of the last, you know, remaining stars of any value left in the dying AWA. And Ole Anderson was injured or something like that. But I remember them bringing Enos and Bloom into uh, the NWA under masks as the Minnesota Wrecking Crew 2 under the tutelage of Ole Anderson to fill in while like Oli was injured or whatever the deal was um, until, you know, they got that sent back to the AWA and then it folded and then they ended up going to the WWF as the Beverly brothers and everybody else knows the rest. But that's kind of the history of the Minnesota wrecking crew and all the various incarnations. But, um, you know, Oli eventually, you know, after bouncing back and forth from, uh, Mid-Atlantic and the AWA in the early days. And he wrestled as, as we said, as Al the Rock Rogowski when he was in the AWA. And he wrestled as Ole Anderson when he would work in some of the Southern territories, Florida, places like that. Um, he eventually settled in Georgia where, you know, um, George Championship Wrestling, where um, he took the book and, and he was a booker for some pretty successful periods in the 70s. He booked briefly for, uh, Mid-Atlantic in the late 70s or early 80s with not as much success. At one point, he was booking both territories at the same time, which yeah, led to doing a lot four, of what was it, talent. four shows a day, I think, for a little while is what he was doing with two different towns in, in Georgia, two different towns in the Carolinas, which is just Which insane. is unsustainable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and all the while, by the way, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew is one of the great tag teams of the era. You know, winning titles, um, can you look up how many times he was a tag team champion? It actually, yeah, it, it was quite a lot. Yeah, I looked this up actually earlier. So he was a two-time AWA Midwest tag team champion, a one-time Florida tag team champion, a one-time NWA national tag team champion with Thunderbolt Patterson, a 17-time AWA tag team cha- and NWA Georgia tag team uh, champion. That's that's Georgia championship. That's Georgia. Yeah, that's- Seven times with Gene, five times with Ivan Koloff, two times with Lars Anderson, one with Rene Goulet, one with Ernie Ladd, and one time with Jerry Briscoe. I was also the NWA Macon tag team champion with Gene Anderson, one time the NWA Southeastern tag team champion. Uh, with Gene Anderson, and then he was also the NWA National Tag Team Champion with Arn. NWA, that's also Georgia. That's Georgia slash Jim Crockett slash Mid Atlantic or whatever. NWA Mid Atlantic with Gene Anderson three times. NWA Atlantic Coast Tag Team Champion four times with Gene Anderson, and also NWA World Tag Team Champion eight times, seven times with Gene, one time with Stan Hansen. Yeah, so you a know, lot. Just- <laughs> So all the while, while he's booking Georgia, while he's booking Mid-Atlantic, while he's gaining power in pro wrestling, he's also part of a legendary tag team with Gene, predominantly Gene, 
Um, he was also, you know, a, a, a frequent tag team partner and champion with Ivan Koloff. You know, they were a great team. And he had all those feuds with Gene Anderson as the Minnesota Wrecking Crew with like Wahoo McDaniel and Paul Jones and and um, all these other teams from uh, from those territories. So he he all a lot of these and, and mostly these he settled in these southern territories. He never really went back to the AWA. He never like went up to Portland. He never went up to like uh, uh, any of the Canadian territories or anything like that. He never ventured. He never worked for. Uh, either of the Vince McMahons, you know, they, he never went to to the WWF or anything like that. He, he essentially settled in Georgia and and the Mid Atlantic areas, and um, you know, and and was known for being his his wrestling style. And I wrote about this behind the paywall on the match of the week. He's it very much matches his personality. No nonsense, rugged. Um, you know, simple, I don't, you know, simple, but very logical. And there was no, uh, wasted motion in his, in his wrestling style. Everything made sense. But the thing was, unlike a lot of guys who worked like that, especially in that era, he wasn't lazy at all. He, oh, he worked fast. He worked way faster than you would think he would. You look at this guy and you understand the way that he sort of worked, you know, very deliberate, you know, in terms of like deliberately working on a certain body part. part. Yeah. And you're thinking, right. You're thinking he's just going to wrench in an arm thing and just hold it back or whatever. And then no, 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 no. The bell rings. And I was watching a rock and roll uh, match earlier today, him and him, you know, Gene and, and, or uh, sorry, Arn and Oli uh, versus the rock and roll express. I watched both of them, but the one I was watching earlier was the cage match from Starcade 86. And that guy, man, from the time the bell rings to the time it ends, that dude is working and he's moving every second of that match. And he's really, he's doing the same move over and over again. He's just kicking, you know, the, kicking the arms and kicking the legs of, of the Rock and Roll Express. But, but that's, that's, but like you said, very quick. Like you, you might assume that he's very deliberate and very slow. No, no, no. Not, not at all. There was not nothing methodical, nothing methodical about the way he worked at all. This he was, was just a bar a brawler. Was, he worked like a bar brawler. He wasn't going to grab a hold and sit in a hold. He, he had a high work rate in the old way that the term was used. Okay. When people talk about work rate now, they're talking about flippy do's and fancy moves and, and guys who have good matches have good work rate. The original use of the term work rate was your pace, how hard you worked in a match. It didn't matter what kind of moves you were doing. It didn't even necessarily matter how good your matches were. If you describe someone as, Hey, you know, I got this guy that wants to come into the territory. He's got great work rate. Okay, what that meant to a promoter was okay. He's action. Yeah. He's, there's a mm-hmm. lot of movement. He's not. Uh, he's not slow. He's not methodical. Right. He might be green. He might not be a great worker from the sense of putting together great matches. But that's what. Now, and Ole Anderson was someone who, in the old definition of the term work rate, was a high work rate wrestler. And I don't know if people necessarily understand that. And the thing about it is, we don't have a ton of footage of him when he was young. It doesn't exist. The vast majority of footage of Ole Anderson is from the mid-30s on, and really from his late 30s on, okay? He was born in 1942, okay? So by 1980, when he did the big angle with Dusty Rhodes, he was 38, 39 years old, okay? This is, you know, this was a guy who was already pushing 40, and, you know, that's 1980. So the vast majority of his footage is, is when he's an older man. You can only assume... 
with as hard as he worked in his third his late 30s through his 40s that he was working just as hard if not harder when he was a younger guy with better stamina who was in better shape and the other thing about Ole Anderson is you look at him and he looks like your mean uncle who slaps around your aunt who who belongs in jail with the beard and he's balding and he doesn't necessarily have a great physique but he was a really good athlete like he's bigger than you think he is first of all like you look at his body and you're thinking ah he's like a five foot nine pudgy guy or whatnot. But when you see him like standing with the horseman, he's like the tallest and widest way. He's a big guy. Like he's a bigger dude than he gets credit for. He was a good amateur wrestler and he was, he was a pretty good athlete and his working style in the ring is he was all about authenticity. And that's why he worked the way he did with the constant motion. He didn't stand around and play to the crowd. He didn't taunt because he wanted his matches to feel authentic and right, feel like right. a fight. He, he was in a fight. He, when the bell rang, the fight yes. began. And now he was in a fight against the opponent. It, it wasn't right. a, a – and, and that's you know a lot of the, you know, the Arn and Ole stuff that most people have probably seen. Because like you said, very difficult to see any of the other stuff. Most people are going to know Ole from the, the Arn and Ole stuff. But you know when you watch their matches, the, the way that they work, I, I, I really do love it. It's something I've appreciated a lot more in, in, in recent years because they work the kind of quote-unquote what you would call the classic tag team wrestling where they cut off the ring or whatever. But the way they do it is so much more uh, – just so much more quicker pace than you might assume that they are because they're, they're tagging it out. But what they're doing is just kicking – they're just taking turns beating the guy on the ground. They have a guy on the ground. They got the guy in the corner, and they're just kicking him and punching him and kicking him and punching him and tagging. And the next guy comes in and kicks and punch and kicks and punch and kicks and punch because it's a fight. They're not out there exchanging, you know – well look, you know, good drop kicks and good professional wrestling holds. They're fighting, you know, they're fucking fighting the guy. He's trying to win a fight. And right. you know, that term, um, make it feel like a fight is kind of overused today and not applied correctly. And and now that we've seen MMA, we know that really no pro wrestling matches look like fights unless you're talking about strict shoot style, like from Japan or something, or maybe once a year with the blood sport shows here. And even those get a little, you know, they, they don't exactly. No, nah, yeah, they're not. You know, they, they, there's got, yeah, you get. But, I don't think Josh but, Barnett and Johnny Bloodsport uh, this WrestleMania weekend is going to feel like a fight, you know, the way that right. people like so to say it, it is. Right. And, and But so even though Ole's style has kind of been exposed, you know, over time, in its time, everything about he did from his, anytime he was out from behind the curtain, whether it was his promos, the way he carried himself or the way he worked in the ring was designed for authenticity and making it feel like it was real. Um, th- that's what he was all about. And Ole Anderson, for me, when I was a little kid first discovering pro wrestling and, you know, I'd watch TBS in the morning, the 7.05 AM show, whatever time it came on. Cause they'd have a show at like 7.05 or 8.05 in the morning. Then the WWF syndicated shows would come on at noon you know, superstars and challenge. And then later on was the six Oh five show back on TBS. And when I was a little kid, I, you know, like, like everyone listening and like you, when you discover wrestling, you can't get enough of it. And you're just, you consume every fucking second of it. Uh, that's not true, Joe. Actually, what I did is I cried and whined and pissed my pants. Cause I didn't know who anybody was or, or what was going on. And then I went on to, uh, you know, my AOL chat room and said, what's going on? Who are these people? Ah, somebody explain yes. this to me. Oh, wait, no, I didn't. Touché. I just watched every fucking week and learned who everybody was and went to the library and, and, and got books about it and, and just watched it and, 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 and discovered. Pro, and begged your mother to buy Pro Wrestling yes. Illustrated. I said, can so I please go to the grocery store with you? And she said, I don't know why, but sure. Yeah. And I'd say, all right, bye. And then I'd run over to the magazines yeah. and then she'd have to come 
find me when she was done. Uh, and that happened for years and years and years until I learned like, all about wrestling. I'm not done reading this this inside wrestling. <laughs> right. I'm not, and I'm not buying leave. You're not going to let me buy right. this. Let's be honest. No. Like, this thing's five ninety nine. dollars I'm not taking this thing home. So just give me a couple more minutes and I'll be done. So when you were a kid and Taka Mishinoku and Great Sasuke showed up on Raw, you didn't lose your mind and complain. You just no, said, I didn't. Who are these no. guys? Oh, okay. I, they're pretty cool. I enjoy what they're doing here. Right. Um, Great Sasuke well, came out yeah. and did some cool moves, and I went, wow, that guy's kind of cool. I wish I could learn more about him. And then the next time I went to the grocery store, I looked through PWI, and I, I discovered that this man has been wrestling a lot of places well, and was very good. You said to yourself, wow, where can I see more of this? Yes. This is different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, as a kid, you know, I, I'd watch because that was prime Crockett years, you know, and I loved, obviously, the Road Warriors and Ric Flair. And Magnum T.A. was just like the coolest motherfucker. Like he'd go in there against jobbers and just give him a belly to belly and beat him in five seconds and then go back to his canasta game in the back. You know, or, you know, there were just uh, Dusty Rhodes. Who who wouldn't be just attracted to that magnetism of a Dusty Rhodes promo? Right. And and the ultimate battle of the everyman and Ric Flair, the the guy coming out talking about all the women he's fucking wearing fur coats and his alligator shoes and his watch just. And then there was Ole Anderson who has a kid. I'm like, this guy sucks. Right. He looks like, he looks, he looks like, like your uncle. Yeah. He looks like your yeah. uncle. Like, you know, and he, and he does, he's not, there's nothing flashy about him, but then over the years, as you begin to learn more about wrestling and you become a bigger fan and, and you start to understand how wrestling works and what makes good pro wrestling, Ole Anderson is a wrestler who undoubtedly grew on me to the point now where he's legitimately one of my favorite people to go back and watch. I love watching Ole Anderson wrestle. There was somebody in our discord. I forget your name. I'm sorry. I'm sure you're listening. He's starting wrestling school soon. And he was asking advice, like what kind of tape should I watch? You know, and, and I get the basics down. And immediately my answer to the kid or the guy, I'm sorry. I don't know how old you are. I assume you're not like 43 if you're starting wrestling. Yeah, also, school. if you're 43 and starting wrestling um, school, please don't. Please go do something else. Please, please. Be I a think kid. there's like two. What is there? Like two success stories. There's uh, who's the guy that was in WWF during yet? Uh, who did the flamboyant gimmick? Who was who then became a Las Vegas? Oh, uh, Rico, 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 Rico started like or something like that. Yeah, he started in his 40s and then Boogeyman, right? Boogeyman's another one. And the other one that people like to point to is Diamond Dallas Page because he didn't really start wrestling till his mid-30s. But that's kind of cheating because he was in the business like his whole life. Like right, he was right, a manager right, right. and he knew how to take bumps and, you know, so – but but yeah. Um, but anyway, this, this guy was asking who he should watch and my immediate answer was if you want to work in a way that nobody's working today and, and where you'll stand out, watch Ole Anderson tapes and just watch the basics of how Ole Anderson does the basics. And – he was like ferocious in that fucking ring, like you said. His his basic kind of match was he didn't give the opponent a second to breathe. He was either beating your ass or he was selling for you, one or the other. There was no wasted time. There was no dead time between the spots. He wasn't thinking about what he was going to do next. Mm-hmm. He was putting the boots to you. And, he and like you said, he, did, he didn't part. stand up and, and turn to the crowd with his hands in the air and go, yeah, boo me. You know, like, like classic. No, 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 no. Not, that's, that's too long in a fight. That's too long in a fight. Don't turn your back on, right. on a guy you're fighting with. That's right. And he would pick a body part. And then very often he would win the match by submitting the guy by just grabbing that fucking body part. Like he won so many matches with an arm with that like standing arm bar. 
where, he, where the guy was down and he'd get on and he put the guy in armbar. That was his finisher for a while before, you know, really the concept of finishers. But he would finish guys with a fucking armbar after ripping their arm off their body for the for the length of the match. Um, basic, simple, but but tenacious is the best way I could describe his style. And he just he's just a fucking joy to watch, you know, and he's become one of my favorite guys to to go back and, and rewatch and reinvestigate. And he's one of two guys who, when I go back and watch old 80s territory footage, there's two wrestlers who every time I watch them, I think to myself, I wish more wrestlers today worked like this guy. Okay. One of them is Ole Anderson and the other one is Buzz Sawyer. Those are my two. I watched a match with those two earlier uh, today and that match fucking rocks. It is uh, easily available on YouTube. It is. Let me, let me get the exact guys that were in that match. But uh, yeah, I saw those two. It's, it was Ole and Arn versus Buzz Sawyer and Terry Taylor. And you just, yes, am- I and, know the match. And can you imagine those guys, you know, Ole and Arn just licking their chops at pretty boy Terry Taylor in that ring or whatever. Yeah. And Buzz Sawyer's TV with Terry Taylor, which seems like a very strange bedfellows uh, at that yeah. time. But that match is pretty damn good. That, that I, I love it. rocks. And the finish is so great because the Andersons are beat, so they just toss Terry over the top rope to get DQ'd. Right, right. They're like, ah. Isn't that the finish? <laughs> I, I, you know what? I think... It's something like that, right? Where let me see if it's the same one that that I was watching. Yeah, I believe you're right, but let me let me double check to make sure. Yeah, where like uh, the baby faces make the comeback, and they, there's like a roll up, and and instead of just breaking up the pin, Oli just grabs him and like tosses him over the top rope in full view and just takes the DQ because I guess in his eyes it's better. I think that's the same match. Um, but yeah, Buzz Sawyer and Oli Anderson are the two guys where where I just. More, it would be so great if there were guys that worked like them today, because it just their style doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and that's I, exactly it. Terry's Terry's got so sorry to interrupt, but Terry's got Arn in. Uh, what is he doing here? Like a schoolboy or something? Yeah, he's got, like oh yeah, he puts up. him against the ropes and does like kind of a, a victory roll or a schoolboy. <laughs> <laughs> and Arn just runs in, grabs Terry by the head, and tosses him over the top rope and looks to the referee and just like, yeah, fucking disqualify me. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And then runs to the outside yeah. to beat his ass on the outside. <laughs> it's great. It's and so then he jump him on the floor. God yeah. damn. God, wrestling used to be so much better. Fuck. And at the start of that, I see it's so funny you watch that match because I remember that fucking match. At the start of that match, but uh, Buzz Sawyer starts that match, and during the introductions, he's just stalking back and forth. He's like, yeah, yeah, he can't wait. He cannot wait for the bell to ring. He's chomping at the bit, like, like, like. No, he's, he's literally just... stomping. He's literally going dun 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 dun. And then the bell he's rings. Like they just they, at the mouth. they just exchange just grapples. It's Arn and and, yeah. and Buzz just exchanging mm-hmm. grapples, and then finally getting corners and just exchange slaps of the chest. It's fucking great. It's so good. Oh my god, it's just meat slapping pro wrestling. It's so good. But uh, I can't believe you watched that. Like that's a match that I I contemplated doing that is the match of the week it's but so I good went with yeah the match maybe next week against the chronodals because what i wanted to demonstrate was even in just a basic ass tv match Oli had his style and he was sticking to it i didn't want to try to pick something that you know what i mean it so um but maybe i'll do that match next week because that is an awesome match that's so funny that you brought that up i can't believe that like and then you made me remember that match but um and you nailed it yeah, you, you nailed it yeah but as but but ask me who what the WrestleMania card was last year, and I can tell you like one match. <laughs> right, right. You know, it, it's it's incredible what resonates with you because the things that resonate with you are the are the things that you enjoy, right? It's not the things that you, you're you don't like or that you think suck. What resonates with you is shit that you think is good. You heard the excitement just percolate. I'm like, I know that fucking match. <laughs> I, you know, I, I can't remember shit, but I remembered the finish to that match from fucking 35 years ago, whatever the fuck it was. But um. 
yeah, anyway, that's that's I think people who haven't seen a lot of Oli and you just you're judging him by his cover, you might not understand his work. It's 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 not what you're. It, it is exactly what you're thinking, but in a completely different style but, than you might. But be probably much faster than you think it is. Yeah, much. Yeah, and, where, where where you know today's wrestlers think that working a body part is Randy Orton slow bullshit, where you sit in the middle of the ring in a side headlock, or you know you do very deliberate, you know elbows to the back of someone's knee or whatever and you can do that and there there you know there's nothing inherently wrong with doing that but i much prefer ole anderson attacking a body part but doing so with with velocity and non-stop action and 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 that sort of tenacity that that you just do not get from a lot of other modern wrestlers tenacious is the best yeah. way to describe him he was a tenacious worker and you know i guess my hot take was going to be that um I, look i love arn and tully I love them. You know where I'm going with this. You know, they, they weren't a tag team for very long. They're a legendary tag team. They're a tag team that always gets named as the, the, the horseman tag team when people bring up the classic horseman. I prefer Arn and Ole as a tag team to Arn and Tully. Hmm. As great as Arn and Tully were. That's a tough one. I If if I had if the old, you know, deserted island comp tape, if I'm if it's one team or the other, I'm taking Arn and Ole. So I, mean, I rather, think... I think I get why you would come to that conclusion. And I think one of the big reasons is think about how those think about how those two teams worked. I think today you're getting a lot of Arn and Tolly style wrestling in today's wrestling. You know what I mean? Like it, like maybe yeah. there's nobody doing it as good as those guys are doing it, but a lot of guys can do that style. FTR can do Arn and Tolly. You know what I mean? They, maybe it's not as good as Arn and Tolly, but they can do Arn and Tolly, and they do a lot. That's kind of what they. That's one of their their sticks is is kind of yeah, essentially a yeah. dollar store Arnon's holy. Nobody's doing Arnon Oli. No, and that's why I suggest and I think that's, that kid that's, to watch some Oli tapes because right. I think that's probably what's making it because I, I I think like honestly to me I don't know if I could decide because I think they're two completely different teams that go completely different styles. So it's like it's it feel weird picking one over the other. It, it, I'm probably with you. I'd probably prefer an Arnon Oli. But I do get how some people might be taken aback by that. But I think it's more or less that I can get Arn and Ole from a lot of different places. I can get similar styles to Arn and Ole, uh, Ar- uh, sorry, Arn and, and Tolly from a lot of different places, and and a lot of other people can do that sort of stuff. But man, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Who the fuck is wrestling like Arn and Ole in today's wrestling? There's zero, not one team that I have seen wrestle in the last 15 years can even come close to, to matching what they. It do. is what I'm saying. If I, you're telling me, if you transported Buzz Sawyer to that, he wouldn't get over. He would translate to this era, and I think someone who worked like Ole Anderson would get over because the first of all, the work is 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 excellent. Ole Anderson's a great pro wrestler. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Like we're talking about his style, but he was great at what he was doing as well. And because no one is working like that today. And because it's a high-paced style, I think it would fit today Absolutely. and stand out. And stand out because it's so different. Because he doesn't leave his feet. Because it's the FTR mantra of, you know, all fists, no flips or whatever. That really was only. Yeah, even he though really those guys flips, co- those guys flip constantly. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like... You know, and, and, and so I, I really believe that that style of wrestling would stand out. Yeah. But it's, it's not, you, you can't just roll out of bed and be good at that. And look like you're completely decimating another human being and ripping their limbs off and and doing it in a credible style because Oli was the total package in that regard. With the with now look, he's a top 
0.01% promo, too. We haven't even talked about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now let's talk about him talking, which is, is a whole different level. Yeah, so I guess this is a great time to talk about the angle with Dusty, which, you know, the 1980 Ole Anderson turns on Dusty Rhodes in the cage, in the Omni, and listeners, longtime listeners probably know, because I've, I've done it a lot with the bloodline over the last couple of years, have people call the bloodline the greatest storyline in the history of wrestling. And whenever people want to have that conversation, one thing I always say on the show is, uh, how does it stack up to Ole Anderson turning on Dusty Rhodes in, in 1980? Before you can sit here and tell me that the bloodline or anything else is the greatest storyline or angle in the history of wrestling, first you need to stack it up to Ole and Dusty in the cage. Okay, that's number one. And if it doesn't stack up to that angle, then I'm not interested in the conversation. Because to me, that is quite possibly the greatest storyline slash angle in the history of wrestling when you're talking about the execution and the impact and the logic and how logical it was every step of the way for an entire year and a half leading up to it. It wasn't just a one-night angle. It wasn't just a one-night angle. It was put together over the course of like 18 months. Yeah. Okay? And when... By the way, how, how much I, of this is available to, to watch? This, this feels like ripe for a deep dive for us well, to do, okay. to dust off the deep dive. But the, I don't know how much is around me, there. I'll tell you what's around. The, the match itself, it's just that one handheld angle of the turn. The right? cage, yeah, and really in, in the that's, cage. That's essentially the whole match. It's not like some super long match. It's just essentially an angle disguised as a match. Well, and, um, and the reason why, again, is because it was an actual wrestling story at that time when that logic sort of mattered. And the bell rang, and they didn't want to fake fight because they were going to turn on Dusty. So it's just like they immediately ran in. And it's not one of those things where after a 25-minute match, then guys run in to turn on a guy or then someone swivels the hips and hits somebody with a chair or any of that bullshit that we see today. It's like, no, we we're going to turn on this guy, so we're not going to waste any fucking time. We're just well, going to go at it. Plan, well, yeah, Ole's idea was as soon as I get tagged in, I'm going to turn on him. And he explains that because – there's a video going around of the episode of Georgia Championship Wrestling that followed the turn where Ole Anderson gives the legendary promo to Gordon Soley explaining the angle and the story every step of the way. Okay. The backstory is Ole and Dusty never got along. They had these legendary feuds. Ole does a face turn in Georgia. No one is less. Uh, equipped to be a baby face <laughs> okay noted he's, asshole ole anderson yeah both in real life likeable. and wrestling no he's right in kayfabe or out of kayfabe, he's just right. not likable man so he's on this baby face run after teaming with gene anderson for years and terrorizing the baby faces after terrorizing dusty Rhodes for their entire careers after teaming most recently up to that point in the late 70s with ivan koloff and winning the georgia tag team titles a billion times with him uh, he turns babyface, and he's teaming with Tommy Rich, and he's teaming with Stan Hansen, who's a babyface at the time, and he's teaming with all the babyfaces, and he's wrestling against the heels, and and uh, and they didn't rush through it. He was a babyface for a decent length of time there, um, but he never teamed with Dusty, and he explains this in the promo, and that's a very important detail. Like it would have been easy to pair up these two longtime rivals immediately now that they, you know, they were both on the same side of the locker room, but that, that wouldn't have worked for the story. So the whole idea was after Ole teamed with all these baby faces and in the promo with Soli, he's like, and I had to travel the roads with Tommy rich. And yeah. With Hansen. such disdain. And, Ugh, and he was Tommy like, rich. he has this Ugh. great line where he's yeah. like, 
And I hated every second of it. I hated every second of it, right? And he's like, and then Dusty came to me. I didn't go to Dusty. Dusty came to me. Dusty asked for my help against the assassins. Dusty wanted the team with me. And I said, now's the time. Now I can pull off my plan. And the only person who knew was my brother Gene. Not my brother Lars, that piece of garbage, that turncoat. Because Lars stayed baby. Lars is babyface. Yeah, Lars is babyface this time. Not Lars. Not the assassins didn't know. Ivan didn't know. The only one who knew was Gene. And the whole idea was Dusty came to Oli to team with him because Dusty finally trusted him because Oli had been teaming with the baby faces all of this time, right? And 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 Oli never went to and he made it clear it's Dusty that came to me. So he sets up, they 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 have the cage match and 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 Oli, it's perfect because they're in a cage. And Gene, and they each have their hand-picked referees. The assassins picked Ivan Koloff and uh Oli and Dusty picked Gene Anderson. Right. With the idea, Dusty's idea. Well, only can trust Gene so I can trust Gene. But Gene was the only one in the only other one in on the plan. Even the other heels weren't in on the plan. Right. So they're they're beating the shit out of Dusty in this cage. And and Ole's just standing in the corner. Right. He's just waiting for the tag. He's not going in there to save him. Right. Finally, Dusty fights through this wave of heels and he gets to the corner and makes the hot tag. And Ole steps through the ropes. And he's talking through this footage to Gordon Soley. And there's this great moment during the promo where you see Oli tag in. And there's this brief second, probably not even as long as one full second, where he's staring at Ivan and the assassins, right? And he watches them first before he turns to Dusty and starts putting the boots to him. And he says to Gordon Soley, he goes, now watch me tag in, Gordon. I had to make sure that the assassins weren't going to attack me from behind because they didn't know what was coming. Right. So once I knew the coast was clear, right down to every fucking detail. Every fucking detail. Every Every little detail explained. And then when he knew that he was safe from the assassins attacking him, he turns to attack Dusty. And then the other heels realize what's going on. Are you sure this is better than an Uso might not be Uso (laughs) enough? Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. (laughs) And, and then Paul the Heyman shaking his jowls, shaking. Are you sure this isn't better? I don't know. And then, I'm not sure. And then, <laughs> and then Gene, who was the only other one in on it, joins in. And then the other heels, they all yeah, they're like, oh shit, and go, all right, yeah, fuck cool, <laughs> fuck yeah. Dusty, and they let's start do this. Right. Then the baby faces are trying to climb the cage. But Lars, the cage. Lars Anderson is out there trying to climb the cage. Rich, there's fans trying to climb the cage. There's fans trying to climb this cage because they're so incensed that Dusty got set up and is getting jumped and getting the shit kicked out of him by these guys. Just an incredible angle set up for a whole fucking year. And the, and this promo by Oli is top tier all time stuff as he's the, and Gordon Soli's disgust all the way through. I, I can't, can't believe, believe it. Uh, Oli, uh, you, you're despicable. Yeah, you're Oli. Really, you're, uh, disgusting <laughs> yeah. actions of Oli Anderson. Look at this. <laughs> it's so and, good. And, and Oli, just the way, and the fans, are, are just chanting, we don't want it. And he's like, well, you're going to hear it. He's like, you're going to hear it. Yeah. And he keeps telling, oh, my God, it's so fucking good. It's so good. And and the way he explains every step of the way and every single moment of that fucking story and angle makes 100% total sense. Yep. There is not a hole you can poke in any of it. Yeah, they None thought of, of every logic gap and, and closed every single one of them up because that mattered and that was important. And you know what? They didn't even have to do that because all along the way, they just made sure everything made sense. 
So then when the angle takes place, it all just falls into place. It's incredible. And then, okay, because this, this video, this episode of TV was uploaded. It's, it's on Chris Zellner's YouTube account. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay? I just linked it in the, uh, the – but I'll try to link it in the show notes as well. But if you look up Ole Anderson heel turn on Dusty, you'll find it in seconds. And then all the follow-up promos from everybody else. There's this great promo with Ivan Koloff with Gordon. And he's like, I, let me tell you something, Gordon Soli. I didn't know what was happening, but once once I saw Oli putting the boots to Dusty, a big smile came on my face, and I said, all right, let's put the boots to him. You know, and he explains his what's going on in his brain as it's all going on, you know? And then Dusty. And then the Dusty promo, which is promo. as good or oh not better than the Oli promo. Yeah, it's so good. I know, it's, 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 oh, my God, it's so fucking good. And Dusty's like, uh, the, the the like the rain of hell that's gonna pour down on you, brother. I don't ask for help. I don't need any help. But Andre the Giant's gonna be with me in the Omni. This he's bringing in Andre the fucking Giant. <laughs> right. All right, you fucking me. I'm bringing Andre. <laughs> Rich, I was, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to buy tickets. Calling the Omni. Call the Omni. Hey, I want to be there for the. Yeah, calling the Omni right now and saying, "Hey guys, I got two for uh, <laughs> the only versus Dusty." Like when it comes to hell, don't need none, don't want none. But I'm gonna bring in Andre the Giant. It's just incredible, everything. And then, then under, then undercard wrestler Mike George. Did you see that part? Where <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, up yeah. To yeah. Ole? Like, what's, what's Mark George doing here? You got Mike George out there, and um, you know, and he's being a total kiss up, and he's telling Gordon Soley, and, he, and he's Mike George. I can't believe what we're hearing out of you, Mike George. And then Ole comes out, and and Mike George offers his hand. He's like, Ole, I just want you to know that. If you need backup, I'll stand right behind you and back you up against Dusty Rhodes. And he just like this fucking piece of shit. Mike George trying to be a barnacle. And then he goes in there and wins a squash as Ole standing at ringside, you know. So it's like the whole company is involved in this fucking angle. Stan Hansen and Kevin Sullivan come out. And Kevin Sullivan with that Boston accent. You know, he's like, I can't buy you know, I can't do a Boston I accent. Can't, yeah, but he I can't, can't believe either, yeah. fucking what uh, you know, uh what um yeah I, I was I was riding with Oli in the car and I can't believe it you know and he's fucking disgusted and Stan Hansen's disgusted and the whole thing is just a fucking masterpiece it's a fucking masterpiece from start to finish the angle itself none of those fans saw it coming uh nobody saw it coming and Oli Anderson right back to his fucking roots as a despicable heel who whose war with Dusty Rhodes was never going to end behind the scenes either years later, as it would turn out. As well. uh, oh so, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that is just, and you want to talk about your bloodline. You want to talk about fucking hangman getting over his, the drink. I don't care what you can't tell me. Anything. Anything is the greatest storyline of all time until you tell me how it stacks up to only turning on Dusty in that cage. That's it. That's the fucking benchmark. I don't want to hear it. Otherwise. And if you don't know a thing about it, then you know you shouldn't have an opinion. I'm gatekeeping your ass. Go watch the fucking tape and go watch that. And then if you want to make an argument that whatever fucking storyline you're into is better than that, then we can sit down and have a conversation. But you got to watch that first. Okay? You got to watch it first. Yeah. I have to, we have to That's know that you watched benchmark. it first. There will, there will be the a benchmark. quiz. There will be a quiz afterwards. There will be a fucking quiz. Okay? Uh, and believe me. Uh, nobody was uh, running to their fucking letters to the editor to complain that poor old Ole Anderson was getting booed by the crap. Okay? Nobody tried to pull that routine. Oh, he's out there trying his best. Why are we booing him? None of that <laughs> bullshit either. Okay? This is pro wrestling. This is pro wrestling. 
God damn, it was so fucking good. And it's unbelievable to me that the same guy who could put that together and construct that came up with the Black Scorpion. Right, and that came up with numerous fucking horrific ideas uh, in the the, the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... uh... Payback is hell, daddy. Payback is hell, that dusty... Oh, my God. So good. How good is it? Where's my ticket? How do I buy that on? A we got There's got to be more. There's got to be more footage out there. We got. We got to hit up Charles, uh, PW Lost, see what what's out there. I, I think we can. Why can't wrestling be like that? Rich? We got to cobble together enough to make this a deep dive. I, I got to watch all this stuff. We got. We got to. We got to. Nothing dive to watch. This. I mean, that's everything. Ah, we got it. There's got to be something else. There's got to be something more out there. It has I mean, to be. You know, this shit wasn't fucking out. You know, you can't find the fucking the follow up tags or anything. You can't. It's not there. You can ask him. But, I mean, that's the thing. You know, there's that famous story, that infamous story, maybe. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, Arn probably uh, Oli probably had him all the tapes, but, uh, yeah, what happened to him? Yeah. Oli found out that Vince bought the Georgia tapes, so he took the master tapes he had and, and set them on fire in his backyard. So, fuck that. Vince isn't getting my shit. That's Oli. You know, Oli wasn't always wrong. Let's be clear. Oli was wrong about a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, wrong about well, a lot of things and wrong about a lot of people and some fucking horrific views on other people and all-time asshole. But there were, he, his hatred of Vince McMahon, you know, the old handshake. Sound. You know, the, the handshake, you know, the, the, the meme of, like, you know, with the handshake emoji in between. Like, yeah. us and, and him on the hatred of Vince McMahon, the little handshake emoji in between the two. Yeah, he, that's a man who I, I wish I could hate Vince McMahon as much as that man hates Vince McMahon. Yeah, you know, and that, that audio clip. I aspire to it. And, I aspire to it. You know, but... where, where Vince introduced Linda to him, and he goes, fuck her, and fuck you, too. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> so good. And you know he really said that. Oh, of course he did. Of course he did. You know, there's no doubt he said that. You know, he was so annoyed. I mean, because, okay, the uh, for people who don't know, the, okay, Black Saturday, mm-hmm. all right, how that came to be was the Briscoes, and Jim Barnett, who had something like 75 or 80 or 90% of the fucking George Championship Wrestling stock, and Ole had the rest. And behind Ole's back, they sold out to Vince McMahon. And Vince took over the 605 television slot on TBS. Now, just, Rich, check me, because I don't want to get any of this wrong. Step in if I fucking sure. mess up. So. They sold it to Vince for like under a million dollars, like nine hundred thousand dollars. Very low like figure. That, yeah, which, I think you're right about the number. Or in the which Oli never stopped complaining about for year till his fucking death. In all these shoot, these great shoot interviews he he does, he's like, look, I wouldn't be opposed to selling to Vince at one point, but if we had waited a several more years, we could have sold that to him for for double, triple, four times the money. These assholes went and sold to him for under a million dollars. You know, and and they and and they took it, and so they got something like. You know, when it when it all got chopped up between them and Barnett and everything, you know, they ended up with like what two hundred fifty or three hundred thousand dollars or whatever it was a piece. Uh, the Briscoes did, and they ended up with jobs. And Jack Briscoe hated working that territory so much that he just quit a few months later. He got off a plane, I think, in to work an East Rutherford show in the fucking Meadowlands and said, you know what, fuck this, I'm going home. <laughs> he went to he your just, home state and said, fuck this, I'm going back to Oklahoma. Yeah, Screw I can't this. deal with it. I'm out of here. <laughs> right. You know, and, and we all know Jerry stuck around and, you know, had a job for life and all of that. And, and um, but only that's an instance where he was right. If they would have waited, they, they could have gotten more money out of Vince probably down the line at some point or more money from Jim Crockett or whoever the fuck, right? So um, anyway, they sold it out from underneath him. And, you know, Oli still had his 
his meager percentage or whatever it was, but Vince got the 605 time slot. He didn't want the other time slots. So what Ole did is he said, fuck this. If Vince owns Georgia Championship Wrestling and is, is shutting it down, Ole went and started championship wrestling from Georgia. (laughs) With 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 encouragement from Ted Turner as well. So Ted Turner also, you know, Black Saturday happens and Vince is putting WWF like syndicated show stuff on 605. Now you imagine a a weekly Georgia championship wrestling viewer tuning in and seeing 19, you know, you know, seeing that level of Right. <laughs> yeah, like a big difference. Style. A pretty big difference in style. And also he wasn't giving him first run stuff. Ted Turner right. said, I you know, you can you can have the six oh five time slot, you can keep that time slot, but I want first run live, you know, uh you know, a television or whatever, like I was getting from Georgia Championship Wrestling and Georgia. Vince yeah. as he wants to do and, and does still to this day, made a deal and then reneged on the deal immediately and said, No, no, I'm not actually gonna do that. So he was sending him syndicated shit, tapes shit. And Ted said, fuck off. And and the fans complained. People said, what the hell happened to my 605? Like, what's going on in my wrestling? What's going on? Like, we, we, we now live in a world where obviously wrestling is way more accessible. But think about it again. Like, you knew no other wrestling. If you were watching a right. 605 TBS watcher at that time every Saturday, you watched the same wrestling with the mostly the same people. And now all of a sudden, boom, here's this new guy with this whole new style. It's brighter. There's bigger lights. But the wrestling sucks. And it's not yeah. first run, and it's not from any arenas that you recognize. It's from Boston Garden and shit. It's 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 wild, and 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 so that's you know Ted Turner basically said, well you you didn't you know you didn't live up to your end of the deal. You have that time slot, but you know what, Oli, seven a.m. on Saturdays. Here you go. Here's your time slot, and then Oli starts championship wrestling well, what's from Georgia. For, what's forgotten is Vince declined that time slot. He right. just wanted the six oh five time slot. So Oli starts up championship wrestling from Georgia. And uh, he gets on TV and then Ted Turner puts Bill Watts on the network as well. And then both of those shows are outdrawing Vince's show in the better time slot. Vince has the prime legendary. This has been the time to watch wrestling for years. Time slot at six Oh five. And he's getting beat by the, the startup championship wrestling from Georgia, which, you know, he only had all the wrestlers. The only, only a couple guys chose to stay with Vince, like the spoiler. And I think a couple of others, but the, the rest of the crew stuck with Ole. So think if you're a, a wrestling fan in 1984 pre-internet and you turn on wrestling on Black Saturday and it's all these guys you don't recognize, but then you turn on the wrestling at 7 o'clock in the morning the next week and it's, oh, here's all my guys. And it's, oh, it's the same Georgia wrestling, the championship wrestling. For, you probably right, It's meant to look very similar. Yeah, they're trying to trick yes. you, the viewer, to thinking, oh, here it is. They just switched time slots. Okay, they're on at 7 a.m. now. Fine. Okay, I'll watch this now. And it's all the same wrestlers, too, that you were used to before. And and then Bill Watts wrestling and is more is similar in style and, and, and obviously to what the Southern wrestling fan was used to. And that was and on that was Sunday nights, right? Sunday evenings, I believe, was the Mid-South. I think so, yeah. This, that was the Sunday show. And then uh, Vince was getting his ass kicked and, and, he, and, you know, Ted was annoyed because Vince, surprise, surprise, wasn't living up to his end of the deal. And, um, you know, he was sending Gorilla Monsoon down there to host the show with uh, – the, other, the guy's name escapes me, the guy that had been working for Georgia Championship Wrestling, and they were just introducing taped matches from, you know, like you said, from wherever they did their tapings. And it was just this slow style with the bigger, slower guys and the lower work rate, and it just wasn't going to fly. So uh, I guess it was in spring of 85 where Vince sold it to Crockett 
But then Crockett also bought out Ole and Championship Wrestling from Georgia. So um, Ole, when he started up Championship Wrestling from Georgia, brought all of the titles, the national titles from, you know, all those title holders that told Vince to screw off and stuck with Ole. So the title lineages from Georgia Championship Wrestling continued on through Championship Wrestling from Georgia. And then when Ole sold to Crockett, after Crockett bought all of the time slots up, uh, those lineages continued into Crockett as well. That's why you'll see matches with with like Arn and Ole as the national tag team champions in like 1985, but for Mid-Atlantic, right? Because all those Georgia titles, those right. lineages continued through all these different promotions and eventually got merged and folded in. Right, and, know, Vin- and, and Vince didn't care about any of that shit. He, he, didn't, no. he didn't want Georgia he Championship Wrestling. Slot. He wanted 605. He wanted the 605 time slot on TBS. That's right. all he cared, gave a shit about. That's all he cared about. He didn't care about the titles so, or the wrestlers or, or any of that shit. Yeah, so... Um, so then that's, that's, you know, only sold championship wrestling from Georgia right around the same time that, uh, that Crockett bought the time slot back from Vince. He also bought Oli's promotion and that was really it for Oli as a promoter, because at that point he joined, uh, Jim Crockett promotions and he, he, he began teaming with, uh, with Arn. And then not long after that, the four horsemen form as kind of an accident, you know, those guys, Oli, Arn, Tully, JJ and Flair, they were just the top heels and they were aligned based on that. And they would come out and cut promos to sometimes together, sometimes separately, but they were loosely aligned in storylines. And then there was that one promo where they all happened to be together and Arn Anderson unplanned on a whim, just called them the four horsemen of the apocalypse and held up the four fingers and fans just ate that shit up and it caught on and they just ran with it. You know, it wasn't, it's it, the four horsemen almost happened by accident. I mean, if Arn hadn't thought of that in that moment, or the segment was 10 seconds shorter, or someone else just, you know, if, if Flair just, you know, ate up all the promo time, the four horsemen ultimately never exist. Right. You know, it was just an accidental thing, a happy accident uh, that led to just, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the stable that all other stables are basically have been modeled after, you know, uh, since. So, uh, that's how that came to be. And, you know, and, and that's this is really we're heading into the 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 back nine of Ole's career at this point. He's obviously a vital member of the four horsemen in the early days. Now, as far as being a booker in WCW, when you really think about it, um, he was he was the booker in 1990. We know that. And he's the one who put the title on Sting. But don't give him a ton of credit for that because he never really believed in Sting. Like, if you listen to Ole talk years later in shoot interviews, he wasn't so sure about Sting. It's just everybody else was telling him that mm-hmm. Sting was going to oh, be Oh, and he was ready star, to give the so. title to Lex Luger. Famously, you know, and, and I talk about this in the franchise series I'm doing right now for, for our Patreon as well, uh, going over the career of Sting. Like, Sting gets hurt, and then he's basically like, all right, great, Lex Luger. Lex Luger's going to win the, the title from you, Flair. And Flair's the one that says, no, I'm not losing to Lex Luger. And, and and Luger was gaining steam at that time, too, and it probably would have made sense and it would have been a decent idea. But Flair was kind of embedded into the career of Sting, obviously dating back to the Clash of Champions 88 or whatever. And Flair said basically, you know, no, I, I, I don't want to lose the title to Luger. I'm going to wait till Sting's healthy and ready to go. And Sting was eventually healthy and ready to go a couple months later. So Great American Bash is when the title turns to him. But but WCW and Oli were, were more than more than ready to just give the title to Luger. 
and, and not even do the sting thing. So that, that lines up with, like you said, where he never quite saw it with sting. And it makes sense. Sting's not the prototypical Ole Anderson, the, the type of guy that Ole would really, you know, like all that much. If you, if you I know, mean, shit, Ole, Ole admits that he didn't really see anything in sting. Right. I mean, you know, you know, um, and, and, and so when you really think about, it, okay, so dusty when Crockett, uh, Install, Dusty's the booker from like 85 till he gets fired in 88, right? For the hot period. Mm-hmm. And before that was like Dory Funk Jr. and all that. But that is essentially a different universe of Jim Crockett promotions when you're talking about the, the 80, 80 to 84 era. So what we're talking about is starting in 85, Dusty's the booker till about 88. He gets fired for doing the blood angle on TV. Um, Crockett takes over for a couple of months there until he brings back George Scott, right? George Scott comes in in early 89, and that is a fucking disaster. That's talked about it almost times. worse than the only period. And, yeah, because George Scott just didn't, you know, we've told the stories that we're not going to do it again. But he just was out of touch, didn't know, you know, he had once been a great booker in that territory, but he'd been gone too long. He was out of touch. It was just a fucking mess. He barely lasted a few months. Then it's that weird amagali. It's like flair and <laughs> the Eddie committee Gilbert, the, they, yeah the always well, hey we're gonna do a committee and there's like seven guys on the committee and that's not gonna work yeah it's flair yeah, and eddie gilbert yeah. and dusty and there's way too many guys no dusty Cornette, oh sorry, no, no dusty but yeah flair uh, eddie gilbert and i forget who else is there but it's it's Jim never Cornette, it's never kevin gonna. sullivan and i talk about this in the gilbert doc the jovember episode with with gilbert you know when 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 crockett buys out Bill Watts in 87 or whatever it is, he buys out Florida, right? He, he, um, he, he tells Gilbert, he prom- makes all these promises to Gilbert, but Gilbert knows it's bullshit because before they even shut down the UWF, like Dusty's already faxing him what to book. Like Gilbert already sees that I'm not going to have any power here. Because even because the original plan was to keep those territories going after Crockett bought them with Gilbert installed as the booker there. And I don't know at Florida, it was either fucking Steve Kern, whoever the fuck it was in Florida. I don't even remember. But uh, it was definitely Gilbert in the UWF. And obviously that didn't last long. And eventually they just closed down Florida. They closed down the UWF and then they brought in the guys that they thought were useful. That you know, Eddie Gilbert sting, obviously. Um, Terry Taylor, uh, Steve Williams, um, you know, I'm going to forget some, I, probably Michael Hayes, um, and everybody else just by that point in the UWF, it was a lot of guys. They were using a lot of guys from Texas cause Texas was dying. So you had a lot of Skandor Akbar and wild Bill Irwin and, and, um, and people like that. And uh, Iceman King Parsons, a lot of those guys, when they shut it down, they just didn't, weren't interested in, and they just went back to Texas and, took part in every single failed world-class revival that went on for the <laughs> right. next fucking decade. Um, but you know, the other, you know, the Eddie Gilberts and sting of course, and, and, and Rick, this Rick Steiner, I forgot Rick Steiner and people like that. Um, you know, Missy Hyatt, they got, they got brought in and Gilbert was part of the booking committee for a little while in 89, 90 ish, but he was still super young. He was probably not even 30 at that point, you know, and, and, He's in there with killers, fucking Ric Flair and Kevin Sullivan. These, these, you know, grizzled fucking politickers. Gilbert never got along with Sullivan. A lot of it was was due to this period. Uh, Gilbert never particularly got along with Ric Flair. He did get along with Cornette, but um, and Ole was probably in that mix since he was hanging around during that time period. 
Um, but then Oli, once the committee fucking didn't work, Oli was the booker in 1990, and Oli was the person who booked Sting to win his first world title, and Oli was the guy who booked the Black Scorpion angle, but he got fired before it played out. I'm not sure how many people realize that. He got fired before the end of that thing, but it's not like he had some great plan. If you listen to shoot interviews with Oli now and he gets asked about it, he kind of meanders and talks out of his ass and pretends like he's the smartest guy in the room, but it's very clear he had no clue what the fuck he was doing with the Black Scorpion. No no end game. There was no No, goal. no, no, no. Yeah, zero, zero idea from A to B to see what was going to happen on that story. It was, let's do this story and then uh, we'll figure it out later. And, <laughs> and 1990 was not a good year for the company. And that's no. not, you know, when you're talking about Ole as a booker, it's really the 70s where he had most of his booking success in Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these other booking reigns he had uh, were not very successful. And then Jim Hurd fires him and they bring back Dusty at that point. I mean, yeah, yeah, Dusty, because Dusty finishes up. At Royal Rumble 91. And we're right. going to talk, oddly enough, we're about to talk about mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Dusty finishes up at Royal Rumble 91. And then um, Heard fires Ole Anderson. And I guess there's like the back, the last couple weeks of 1990 and the first few weeks of 91. I don't know. It's probably just some committee again or just Heard piecing it together. I don't even know how I would classify the booker at that point. But it's Dusty. And then Dusty falls out of favor a couple years later and Ole gets another crack at it as part of these various different committees and whatnot. And he's with the company until uh, the Bischoff era. Bischoff takes over around 94, I guess. Maybe yeah, late, late 93, 93, late 93, early 94. So yeah, Oli also oversees the Shockmaster. <laughs> it does the voice yes. of the Shockmaster. Yes. Uh, also yes. not good. Also not Voice very of the good. Black Scorpion, voice of the Shockmaster, two of the worst uh, gimmicks to ever, you know, come across. But um then Bischoff takes over for for Jim Hurd. I don't know if that was a direct handoff. There might have been some. No, no. So you have you have you have Hurd out, and then you have the Kip Allen. You have the. Oh right, I forgot that whole. Kip right, Alan you have Fry, the, you have the Bill Watts and the Kip Allen Fry era until Dan finally then then yeah. Bischoff. Yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't go Hurd to Bischoff. Yeah. Now Kip Allen Fry was an amicable guy who really wanted to stay hands off with the wrestling and let the wrestling people handle it. But he was not a wrestling guy and he was in over his head and he got ate up and they had to get rid of him. Right. And then they were, it was like when you fire a football coach, who's like known as a player's coach. Yeah. They went with the player's guy and then they went with Bill Watts. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Who cracked his knuckles and said, all right, no one's getting paid shit. (laughs) We're going to keep things in the ring. None of you high flying assholes anymore. None of this shit. We're going to take it old school. And uh, I love Bill Watts era WCW, but uh, maybe maybe not the right guy for uh, to, no, to compete they, they on the national level with Vince McMahon's WWF at the time. Did shitty business, but I like it. I like <laughs> I fucking love nineteen ninety two WCW. It's my favorite. Um, one thing I learned that I didn't really know was that the whole top rope stuff was all designed to eventually bring top rope moves back and then get them over more. That I didn't know. Oh yeah, yeah. Recently. So, you know, that whole thing where banning moves off the top, like eventually he was going to allow them and then they would have been over more than they would have been. Right. He said, take them away for a little bit. Everybody was overdoing them. A, he wanted the heels to have a good thing to do is do the over the top rope and and, and get, you know, people booing them. And then little by little, he was going to start bringing them back to make it more spectacular because you hadn't seen anybody do anything off the top rope for a year. And all of a sudden here comes flying Brian Pillman doing a you know, crazy move off the top rope or whatever. So, yeah, I, I, I see what he's going for. But, yeah, ultimately, you know. 
another guy who the era, the, the the business had had pretty much passed him by at that point. Even if I loved yeah. him, even if I love that era of, of WCW, but uh, the business had probably passed Watts behind. Yeah, and then Bischoff is the one who fires Ole, and that's it for Ole because, um, you know, he's trying to get his son going, Bryant Anderson, and WCW fired him, and he he wanted Jim Cornette to take a look at him, but Bischoff didn't like Cornette, and when he found out Cornette was talking to Ole, he fired Ole, and that that was it for Ole. But those last couple of years, 89-90, he was, you know, the horseman turned on Sting for the 9,000th time. And Ole cuts a great promo during all of that, too. You know, if you go back and watch that angle. And, you know, Ole, he reforms his team with Arn in 89 and 90. And uh, they do all the, uh, you know, this is when, you know, the, the, the Sting's part of the horseman. They're feuding with the JTEX, you know, Buzz Sawyer and the Muda. And the Dragon Master and those fucking guys, you know, and the Gary Hart stuff where he was uh, on the other side of the horseman, um, which, you know, it, 1990 wasn't a good year by any means. But again, I like rewatching all that stuff. I think it's it's entertaining wrestling to watch. And then obviously the horsemen turn on Sting and jump them and all that. And um, That's a great promo, too, man. That, that's another great. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's a great Oli promo, promo. Where, where again he gets yeah. in the ring and he's like, "Listen up, Sting." You know, with his gravelly, you know, like he's chewing glass before he got out there. Yeah, you know, just again very deliberate. He's just like, you know, I, you know, I know you don't want to hear it, but you got to hear it, buddy. Like, you know, yeah, and, and basically saying we're gonna, you know, you can't be a part of the Horseman anymore because you're not gonna give up your title shot and 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 listen here, pal, and and look at me when I'm talking to you. It's just like the way that it's done is just. And it's again a very well done, very logical turn where the horsemen are just like, "We'll give up your title shot," and Sting's like, "No," and then they're like, "Well, then you're out of here. <laughs> like, we're not going to let yeah. you fight Ric Flair for the title. Like, fuck off. No, you either give up that title shot or we're going to beat your ass." And he keeps telling Sting because Sting keeps going all over the ring and he goes, "Listen up, pal. We we have three and you're one." So yeah, that's the great line where Sting's trying to like speak up and he's like. Sting, there's three of us and one of you, so right. you're going to listen. Yeah, so you're like, going to sit there just... tight and listen to me explain what's going to happen here. It's so <laughs> yeah, good. It's so good. It's so fucking good. Um, yeah, and, and you know, he's winding down at that point, and, you know, he he doesn't wrestle much after that. And they, the different bookers do different things with him. You know, he's a referee for a while, and, and you know, he's he's in the office, but he's not really the booker. And I guess he's part of some of the booking committees in between guys getting fired and let go and all that during that period. But um, essentially, once once Bischoff lets him go for associating with Cornette, that's it. He's done. And then he becomes bitter old, cantankerous Ole Anderson doing shoot interviews for right. the rest of his career. Yeah, for the next 15 and, years doing shoot interviews and, and, and burying everybody. It's funny. I was looking at his Wikipedia page earlier. And it said, notable for his, let me see if I can get it up. It was like, notable for his criticisms of, and they listed like 20 guys. It was just like, oh. Yeah. It's, it's uh, here, Anderson was also very vocal about his personal issues with Vince McMahon, Dusty Rhodes, Michael Hayes, Paul Haven, Eric Bischoff, Tony Blanchard, Jim Hurd, Roddy Piper, and Bruce Brody. It's just like, you could let that yeah. list, if they wanted to, if anybody wanted to do the Wikipedia entry, that list could be a thousand people deep. Everybody that he dealt with ever, you could add to that list. Ric Flair, he, he, he notably... Did not like Ric Flair. It's like, how do you not like like you're only interested? How do you not like Ric Flair? Didn't like Ric Flair. Didn't well, like well again, here's the thing: he wasn't totally wrong about Flair because one of his big criticisms of Flair was that Flair would go out there and have the same match every night. Yeah, and can you say he's wrong? He's not wrong. You know, he would often say about Flair, he's like, he'd say Flair, he's a great wrestler. I'm not denying he's a great wrestler, but we have this whole canvas to work with, 
And Ric Flair would go out there and have the same fucking match every night. And he would say to guy, he'd say to the interviewers, you know, the Flair spot where he goes into the turnbuckle and flips over and then runs down the apron and he'd set up the interviewer. And the interviewer would always go, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, of course you do, because he did it every fucking night. You know, and he's like, you got the same match all the time. Of course, you know, all the spots because he would do them every fucking night, you know, so he he had issues. And look, he wasn't wrong. That was a criticism of Flair from 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 the smart fans and the newsletters, even while Flair was the best yeah, wrestler absolutely. in the world, you know, and 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 why didn't Ole like that? Because what did we talk about at the top? He wanted realism and he felt like if you went out there and had the same fucking pattern match every night, you were exposing the business. Was that a little old school to think that way? Was he wrong in the sense that if it's over, it's over? Yeah. But you can see where his ideals were rooted. Right, right, With right. some of this wacky shit that he thought. Now, he was an Now, there's no question he was an asshole. Okay? This is a guy. He, he's the only guy who didn't think Sting was going to be a big star. He's the only guy in the world who didn't think Ricky Steamboat could be a top guy. He was he was insisting that Hulk Hogan couldn't draw. In like 19, like this is in 1989. He's like, ah, he sells yeah. dolls, but he doesn't know how to get people to the building. And it's like, what? They're not <laughs> selling any about? tickets over there. Yeah. <laughs> Up north, they're not selling any tickets. Uh, only, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know about that. You know, but he wasn't, but again, he wasn't wrong about everything. You know, yeah. when I, when I go back and watch those old shoots for as many times as you're shaking your head and you're going, Oli, you fucking lost the plot. There's a million other times where you're nodding along going, you know what, Oli, that's a good point. You make a fucking solid point. You know, there, there, there are times where he makes some solid points, you know, and um, there's a really fun interview he does with Ricky Morton of all people. Cause you know, Ricky Morton, he's as, as amicable as anyone. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. just. And Oli's just being Oli, and Ricky's just laughing and shaking his head, you know. But but you know, and he, it's it's uh, yeah, he's a, he's one of the most interesting figures of his time and his era, and he's another one of these guys where you can just find him at the center of a lot of the most memorable angles that took place during the course of his career, whether it was turning on Dusty or or kicking Sting out of the Horsemen or all those great Horsemen angles or and all those great promos. You know, um, you know, it's look, look, Flair has a certain promo style. Arn Anderson's a fucking incredible promo. Uh, Tully was a pretty good promo. J.J. Dillon, of course. But when, when the horsemen needed to make a, 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 a point, Ole did the talking. Ole did the talking when something needed to be explained. Ole did the talking, you know, and, and you know, he, he not only was right there with all of those with, with your arms and your flares in terms of talking, he's, he's just as good. As anyone, in, in, especially in his style of promo, when it came to laying out details, explaining something, getting right to the point, and and and, and establishing and explaining a grudge. I mean, I mean, geez, if you're a young wrestler and you're not watching his promos, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it just, um, yeah. So Oli's a guy who, I guess, to wrap it up on my end, and you can say whatever you want to say. Um, you know, I, I talked about how when I was a kid, I had no appreciation for him because he didn't have any appeal to a fucking eight-year-old. But as I got older, as I got more into wrestling, he's one of those wrestlers that just absolutely grew on me to the point where once I became an adult and, and really dug deep on pro wrestling, he has become one of my favorite people to watch both on the stick and in the ring. You know, and, and obviously the shoot interviews are fucking classics. And listening to him just complain and, and be angry and just be preposterous and, and be Oli, there's entertainment value in that. You know, him going on Dave Meltzer's Iata 
radio show to <laughs> sell his book. Yelling. And Dave. then just yelling at Dave. And then just arguing with Dave. You know, that that's always getting you know, pissed that he's not in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. You know, like like my kind of a guy that really, really, really cares about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame and is pissed that he's not in it because of course he's pissed that he's not in it you know you know like we say sometimes it's good you know we, we feel like dorks because we care a lot but it's really good that we care a lot and more people should care this dude cared about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame and was pissed that Dave didn't put him in his Hall of Fame and Dave so many times tried to explain only I, I don't I, I don't choose who goes in it's a panel people vote on eh, Dave you don't yeah. want me in your Hall of Fame I don't know if he cared so much about being in it as he cared so much about he wanted to use that as a point that Dave didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Right, right, right. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Maybe he didn't actually care about the Hall of Fame more that you're a fucking it idiot, was more Dave. Dave. You don't know, you don't know shit if I'm not in your Hall of You know, it's more like that kind <laughs> right, of thing. I get, yeah, like, I guess you're right. If I'm not in it, then you're a fucking idiot and you don't know shit, you know, and, and uh <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Dave talked about it earlier and said, yeah, only came out to our podcast to try to sell books. And I don't think he sold a single book because he just did the whole time. Yeah, he yelled at him <laughs> just... and argued with him for 40 minutes. It was, yeah, I mean, it's out there. It's easy to find. It's on I mean, Wrestling he, Observer he, Live. Yeah, I think it was hosted. Alvarez was there too, right? Wasn't it all of them? Wasn't it Iata? No, I think it was Iata. Oh, it was during the Iata days. You're right. You're right. Yes, it was during it was the Iata. Iata days, which for you kids out there, I mean, Dave Meltzer has been doing what we now call streaming podcasts for as long as anyone. I mean, that, that was a failed business venture that he got hired for. What would you even call Iata? Like an internet radio? Streaming. Yeah. It was like a streaming internet radio thing that just went up in flames during the two thousands, you know, the, the dot-com bubble. It was one of the many dot-com bubbles. I mean, obviously you have Mark Cuban's radio.com. He sold that to, to Yahoo for, what he's still, you know, ungodly amounts of money that he's still living with today, you know, and, and was able to parlay that into more money and more money and more money. And Yada had a similar idea. We're going to do streaming radio on the internet or whatever. And it makes all the sense in the world. And they spent a lot of money and then very quickly it's too soon. Yeah. It's too soon. Yeah. It was just too soon, you know, and, um, or is it because all these podcast publishers, uh, yeah, yeah you know, aren't yeah, exactly yeah. fucking, nah. you know, they're dropping uh, like flies. Uh, they're dropping like flies these days. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So, uh, anything else on? You got anything else on? Uh, I will say, yeah, I, I agree with you that he's a guy who has grown on me uh, over the years. His work uh, has has really grown on me. Um, obviously, a very complicated legacy uh, of Ole Anderson. We mentioned at the top, like an all time asshole. Uh, the Ringer has a really good piece up right now talking about his, you know, his his very, very well documented racism as well. Uh, that you know is is. And they kind of lay it out a little bit where a lot of the people that were involved at the time were like, ah, oh, no, that's just the times. And, oh, no, he's not really a racist. That's just kind of the times or whatever. But, you know, they, they have all the quotes in there. And some of the quotes are, are, are pretty shocking, the stuff that he says. And you could take it for whatever it's worth. You know what I mean? Of, of is that, you know, of what the times and, oh, that's just what things, you know, that's just what guys said in the 80s or whatever. That's just what people said to each other in the 80s or, you know, are those actual, you know. It's, so the Ringer article, I think, does a very good job of kind of laying that out and, and, and laying out, yeah, the, that, that, yes, it was a time and a place. But still, uh, this guy had some pretty horrific things to say. Uh, about people of other races so uh that that's all laid out in the ringer so i think they do a good job of of discussing his legacy uh as well as some of the the, the warts uh the many many warts that he had uh as, as well but i uh, just thought i'd mention that uh too it, it, along with being you know the all-time asshole like we said so um there you go that is ole anderson and i think let's move on right now because we're here and you mentioned a little bit earlier let's talk about royal rumble uh 1991 and Mike Jones, also known to the world as Ooh. Virgil. Yeah, there you go. I love that. I'm glad you knew that. 
two eight one six eight. I'm so glad you knew that, Joe. I, I, I'm I'm kind of surprised by you. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised by you. Well, back then, I, 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 you know, I appreciate that, Joe. Do you know the phone number? Know, Do you remember the phone number? I, listen, I know things, you know. Do I you remember the phone gimmick number? Gimmick to maintain, but I. Do, do you know? You do know. you remember the phone number? I do. I, again, again, Rich, I don't even know what you're talking about. Two eight one three three zero eight zero zero four. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Mike Jones up on the low. Ooh. Mike Jones about to blow. Yeah. Uh, all right. So <laughs> I know I, I, I was. I thought I was going to be the one to do that. You were going to say Mike Jones, and under my breath, I was going to say who. And uh, I'm glad this I, – I had no idea this was going to flip the other way, and I'm so glad. I, I am smiling from ear to ear. Uh, full of surprises. That, that, that you got that. I am so – the glee – I can't even describe the glee that I have on my face right now that you are uh, doing a Mike Jones reference here. But uh, Virgil, Vincent, Shane, Curly Bill, Soul Train Jones. His career – and this is a weird one, too, where, where we were always in this weird position where when people pass away – you know, people expect us to come and, and do these obituaries like we just did for Ole Anderson, like an hour long talking about how great this guy was and underrated aspects of this guy's career. And here's something you might not have known. And here's and, and that sort of stuff. And then sometimes people pass away and it's like, ah, like you're like, oh, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say about Virgil. And it's like, I don't What do you want me to say about Virgil? Really? I mean, I'll I'll describe his career, but. He was terrible as a wrestler. He's one of the worst wrestlers you'll ever see. So it's like, and the guy just died. I don't want to, you know, piss on the guy's grave or whatever. So I'm always in this very weird position of how do we cover this guy if I really don't have that much good things to say about him. But we'll do it anyway because it, it, you know, the man passed away and he had a a, a long career in wrestling. So it, it's it's worth discussing. But you know, he starts off as as Soul Train Jones, mostly doing. I believe he's trained by Afa, isn't it? Afa and Sika, I believe he was trained by, and starts up in Memphis as Soul Train Jones, which was essentially an Apollo Creed gimmick, right? Because he had, like, the red, white, and blue trunks, and he was kind of doing a boxer thing. Like, I've always I always looked at Soul Train Jones as, like, a, a dollar store Apollo Creed. I think I think that's, that's kind of what they were and going it was for, ni- right? And it was 1987. That's exactly what it okay. was. He, so um, he was teaming with Rocky Johnson. That you know, That's probably what he's most known for mm-hmm. in Memphis, the team with Rocky Johnson. Um, But... You know, I went back and dug into some of my old newsletters from the period. He was considered a bit of a prospect, believe it or not. You know, because he had a great look. Oh, he looked like a million bucks, and, and you could see it. You know, and, and you never know how someone's work is going to come along. And look, he wasn't a great worker. I, You know, I'll tell you this. I watched a match today. I had to click it. 1994. So this is the tail end of his WWF run. Virgil, three years removed from the turn, so he's not over anymore. Yeah, he's, he was he's over comes, when he turned. Absolutely, now, he was over when he turned. But this is 1994. He's not over. He's not being pushed. And he was facing Corporation Era Nikolai Volkov, Oof. who had to be pushing 50. Yeah. Okay. How old was Nikolai Volkov in 1994? Nikolai Volkov in 1994. So, let me. Let me. I'll get that for you. I'll get that for you while I describe. So anyway, uh, let me talk about this match. Well, he was born in 1947, so whew, he's 47 years old. Yeah, almost 50. And Nikolai was never exactly a, uh, an exciting athlete. <laughs> no, even it's in certainly not in 1994. Not as a Mongol, his... not as Nikolai Volkov, not as, you know, so. Or was he a Mongol or an executioner? I always get that mixed up. Big John Studd was an executioner with, with Kowalski. Uh, Volkov was a Mongol. He was Beppo Mongol, wasn't he? 
That yeah, I don't know. That, yeah, that, no, that he I was. He was one half of the Mongols. He was Beppo Mongol. I'm almost positive. If you could pull that up too, while I'm talking about Smash, um, because I get the Mongols sometimes confused with the executioners. But the executioners uh, he was both. He was executioner number three as well as Beppo Mongol. <laughs> oh well, maybe that's why. Yeah, executioner so, number three and Beppo Mongol. Okay, but obviously he was more famous as a one half of the Mongols. Right, is right, the right. point. Because the executioner, the more famous executioner pairing was John Studd and Kowalski, right? And I guess Volkov was a interchangeable member at some point because he was big like they were. So maybe that was the idea where he would put on the. Anyway, the point is, Volkov was never like considered a good worker ever, not in his youth, not ever. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, this is late stage Nikolai Volkov and three years removed from being over Virgil. And it was seven minutes long. I have to watch this, right? It's not like it's three minutes. It was really not that bad. Like I was stunned by how not bad it was. Like, I'm not going to tell you it was good, but you're probably thinking rich. That sounds like a horrific match. Yes. (laughs) That sounds like one of the worst matches you could ever watch. You know, Volkov out there with his property of the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. <laughs> and his weird, his weird dark hair, them. his weird dyed black yes. hair. Yeah. And DiBiase on the outside and um and, and you know Virgil not being over at all, you know, and but it really wasn't that terrible. Virgil did a, some things that were okay. He had a nice little drop kick. You could tell at one point he was a good athlete, right? I think he was a college athlete. Um he even had that same kind of boxing gimmick after he turned on DiBiase, right? He kind of yeah. had, it was sort of a boxing. He would kind of like move around the ring like a boxer. You're right, right, you know, right. He'd shuffle when, his when feet, he he'd do turned. the ollie shuffle, and then he'd do these not very good punches or whatever. And that's kind of what is, yeah, that's what, what his, his quote-unquote babyface offense was him shuffling around and punching, basically. And jabbing you in the face, yeah. So um, he, he was, though, getting back to what I was saying, considered a bit of a prospect based on his look and, uh, you know, working with, with Rocky Johnson and all that. So he comes into the WWF as a pretty green rookie at that point, mm-hmm. maybe only two or three years into his career to do the uh, bodyguard gimmick for, for Ted DiBiase, obviously as a send up of Dusty Rhodes with the name Virgil, you know, because at the time Jim Crockett promotions was hot and, Ver- to, you know, um, Dusty was the booker. So they were mocking Dusty Rhodes. The other thing at the time is there, you know, was some racism rooted in this because the idea was Dusty Rhodes was like sort of had uh, the idea was he was sort of uh, used black vernacular promos and things like that. So the idea was Vince was mocking Dusty by naming a black slave after him right and, and yeah you, Again, you mentioned you said bodyguard there and let's let's call it what it is call what, what it is yeah he was his man he was a servant right yeah and and you know again vince mcmahon you know i i see all these brave takes now of people saying oh vince mcmahon the wrestling so much better now that he's gone well where were you the last four decades because i know where i was <laughs> right. yeah we've been here we've been okay. here where, where you were been? you after where were you after the McAfee interview? Probably backpacking McAfee and ta- and laughing about working out at 2 a.m. is probably where you were, okay? Uh, no one in specific. No one in specific. Just, yeah, talking in, talking in terms. Just talking, you know. But, uh, you know, but that was the idea behind the gimmick. And, you know, what's sad uh, but Bruce about. Pritchard, Bruce Pritchard says it's, it wasn't named after uh, Dusty Rhodes. Well, well, and again. <laughs> He's a and, moron. And that is why, <laughs> and that is why unfortunately, 
the Bruce Pritchard podcast with with Conrad is fucking useless. I will say it's useless. I what at every clip I've heard when he says that Conrad says you're full of shit, Bruce. Shut the fuck up. It was obviously yeah, Dusty it's, Rose because it's, it's like it's laughable. It was ah uh, no no no. We just called him. Okay, name every other Virgil that you guys have ever ever interacted with in your entire life that wasn't Dusty Rose. It's like fuck off. Of course we know what the thing was. So he can say it. Every other person that said, I think Bobby Heenan has said, yeah, I said that should, is what is name should be everybody on earth agrees that he was named virgil because of dusty Rhodes. everybody on earth except yeah, for mean, bruce pritchard preposterous and that's the problem with bruce pritchard and why you can't take his podcast seriously because even if you know because how can i believe anything he says that i wasn't like if he tells a story that i wasn't aware of how can i take it seriously when he's willing to lie about things like that and that's hardly the only thing you know it's 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 a shame it really is a shame but it, it to me his podcast is utterly worthless but um yeah, so, you know, the thing about what's sad about Mike Jones is he was a essentially a main event act in the WWF for, what, three or four years? Um, you know, DiBiase wasn't a main eventer by, by 90 or 91 when the term, but DiBiase was a main eventer from when he entered the company, you know, through, like, 89, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. And Virgil, and Virgil was essentially in the manager role and working the main events and making main event money mm-hmm. and you know, synonymous managers with the make too. You, synonymous with right. the char- you don't think of the million dollar man without thinking of, of Virgil right by without his side. Virgil. Yeah. And um, you know, those guys make fucking main event. They might not make the same money as Hogan and DiBiase when they have a match, but you're in the main event, you're making main event money and getting main event payoffs. And then he had, Another three or four year run with the company where I'm sure he was making some decent change when he was the babyface prelim wrestler. And then he had a four year run in WCW where they were overpaying everybody. And my point here is he definitely made good money. Oh, God, yes. For a lot of years. And it's unfortunate because at the end of his life, he was basically living in squalor and then he got sick. And, you know, he had a host of other problems. And we all have, a, if you've met Virgil or had a run, you have a Virgil story. I mean, I, 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 had a, I met Virgil at one of the WrestleMania weekends. I don't remember what city. I think it was at a, a Janela show before. I think because he was in the fucking clusterfuck, but before the clusterfuck, he's standing there with me and Justin Bissonette. And I can't remember who else. There were other people there. And we're just standing there with Virgil, hanging out with Virgil. And you could, you know, I mean, he, he I, you know, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. it. It is very obvious the man was not uh, sober. He, he had probably been drinking for. Uh, the entire weekend at that point was just oozing fucking alcohol out of his pores. I think this is in New Orleans, and, and yeah, it's a bad place to be uh, a man who, who yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Might have been New Orleans. I, yeah. Again, I don't remember what city, and I remember at that time, Patreon had the lens gimmick, and I wanted to get him on the lens, and I was like, hey, man, you want to do like a 15-second silly promo or something? And he's like, my rate's $150. <laughs> And I, I remember like, this well, story. I, I remember you getting. The, I remember getting this text from you and said, yeah. "Holy shit, I'm going to get Virgil on the lens." And I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it." You're like, "I'm, I'm talking to him right now. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him." I'm like, "Yeah, do it. Do it. Do it." And he said, "Ah, fuck. He wants to charge me 150. Fuck him." Well, <laughs> yeah, he, like that. well, yeah. whatever it was, I don't even remember the exact total. But he, I think it was like 250 or something like that. It was, it was a preposterous number. And you were like, for, "Ah, should I do it?" I'm like, story. "No, no, no. Get out of here. No way." Oh, uh, for the sake of the story, he's like, "My rate's 150 dollars." And I was like, "Oh, well, I'm Virgil. I'm not going to pay 150 dollars." He goes, "My rate's 50 dollars." And I'm like, "I'm not." paying you 50 like it kept kept coming down but um i wasn't gonna pay him anything like i'm not paying virgil to do a 15 second drunken promo on the lens but um he did stand there and watch the show with us and and 
someone was like, just film him anyway. He doesn't know what's going on. And I was like, I'm not going to do that <laughs> do because, that. you know, people are going to get mad that it's like not with his consent and all that. And I'm not, that was the height of getting canceled and shit. And I'm like, I'm not filming this guy without his consent, even if it's harmless, but um, it's just not worth the trouble. But, um, but yeah, I mean that that's, you know, anyone who met him during that kind of era of his career and Joey Janela really took a liking to him and took him under his wing and kind of gave him a little revival at the end with uh with the club i think that same year uh alabama doink was in the clusterfuck because he had a table set up so i don't I, maybe it was new orleans i don't know he's dead too alabama doink died a couple of did years. he I, I actually didn't know that yeah alabama doink passed away yeah he's uh he's also dead but um but yeah what's getting back i just think it's you know it's it's kind of a tragic story because he obviously you know, I don't he had a lot of money at some point because those were big money making years. He was there for the Hulkamania era. He was there when WCW was paying Lanny Poffo six figures to stay home. I mean, you know, and um, the end of his life just didn't seem like it was very great. He became a meme, you know, on Twitter and everything. But uh, and he had some handlers who were trying to help him out. But, you know, unlike the Iron Sheik, I don't know if it was all entirely unbeknownst to him, because when he would do interviews and talking things he would bring up the olive garden and talk about the meat sauce and fuck, and fuck money, money he yeah would, he became he self-aware he became self-aware yeah, right he was aware that of the memes and he was aware that he was a meme so he might have been genuinely behind all that stuff for all i know i don't know joey we probably should have asked janella before we did this but <laughs> who are we to prepare for a show but um but yeah i just think it was uh you know it's kind of sad how it turned out for him but you know he had the the, the great main event run as Virgil and say what you want about the genesis of the character and the intentions behind it and Vince McMahon being Vince McMahon, but he was excellent in the role in a vacuum. He had the great scowl, you know, he always looked like a mean motherfucker. Right. With the right? scowl, counting the money, flexing, looked like a million bucks with his little vest, the money in his hand. Interfered hands. at the right time. Yep. Good, had good timing with his shit. A lot of times he would take the bumps for DiBiase. It would be his job to take the big bumps at the end of a match or whatever. So DiBiase would keep his heat. Uh, if DiBiase was injured or banged up, Virgil would step in and wrestle the match. Um, I saw a match from Boston Garden in 1988 today. Virgil versus Junkyard Dog. And again, Rich, I thought it was going to be the biggest piece of shit that I ever watched. A three-minute Virgil versus 1988 Junkyard Dog. Yeah, that doesn't sound and, great, um, but it turned out to be all right? No, it was absolute. Dog. Okay. Was this say, one did suck. That seems yeah, like that. Yeah. I have a tough time believing that was the, any good. Uh, the Volkoff match exceeded expectations. This one did not. <laughs> this this one was pretty perfectly brutal. met your expectations um, of of nineteen eighty eight JYD and 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 two years into the business Mike Jones Virgil yeah in a, in a three minute match in Boston Garden with Gorilla Monsoon Duke the the Duke of Dorchester Pete Doherty and Nick Bockwinkle on the call so oh, wow. that was uh, yeah yeah uh, you know <laughs> Monsoon complaining about you know DiBiase costing. Virgil went over, by the way, which which is also surprising. Uh, DiBiase hit Junkyard Dog with his crutch or whatever the fuck they did, right? And uh, Monsoon complaining, and and the Duke of Georgia said, ah, I think that JYD got what was coming to him. And, you know, Nick Bockwinkle in his erudite style going, well, you know, that's one way of looking at it, Gorilla, but the referee has the final say in all matters when it comes to the squared circle. And it's just the commentary was a thousand times better than the match. <laughs> it sounds better, yeah. Yeah, it's like you have these three completely different personalities calling this thing. 
and Gorilla is surrounded by two heels in this case, as opposed to just, you know, Jesse Ventura or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, they did the big turn in 91 at the Royal Rumble, where after building up and building up now, listen, you go back and watch a lot of old DiBiase promos. Like, remember when DiBiase tried to buy Hercules from Bobby Heenan and make him a, a slave? Oh, of course. Right? Yeah. So uh, they were wise to never use that term for Virgil. They never went that far. Right. But they used it for Hercules and Hercules was like, well, fuck that. I'm not going to be this guy's fucking slave. And that's how Hercules went babyface. So there's a match from Saturday night's main event, Hercules versus Virgil. And the idea was it was supposed to be Hercules versus Ted DiBiase. But DiBiase's promo, he's like, uh, much like Donald Trump doesn't wash his own windows on Trump Towers. And much like, you know, you know, naming some other rich guy who has someone else do something for him. I'm not putting my hands on that dirty, disgusting Hercules. I have a servant for that, Virgil, and he's going to wrestle him tonight. But look at, but go back and watch that promo mm-hmm. and the look that Virgil gives. Him right. They, they built that up. They servant. built that up for year, like two years or whatever. You could see Virgil I, I, shit since day one. Virgil was never, they, they, they told him, and, and it must have been a very deliberate thing. They, and again, these things used to matter and logic used to matter and things used to matter. Yeah. And yeah, from day one, Something would happen. Virgil would would get pushed to his absolute limit, and he would have a face or something like that. And I forget it what it was, but Ted DiBiase basically said, "Well, you want to pay for your mother's surgeries?" Or I forget what it was exactly. It was something like that, you know. What I mean, it was something about his family. his family. Yeah, he had to take, take care of his care family of or whatever. He goes, "Oh, you don't want your family out on the streets, do you?" And then Virgil would begrudgingly do it, and then you know they they'd make up and they'd be fine over the next couple of weeks or whatever. But little bits and pieces here and there would lead up to, you know, Virgil making a face or whatever, and then eventually led up to this moment at Royal Rumble 91 where, you know, Vir- DBS just starts slapping the guy and, and telling him, you know, go pick up my belt, throws the belt on the ground, tells him to go pick up the belt, and and eventually Virgil picks up the belt, hits DBS over the head with it, turns on him, and, and, and that, you know, leads to a match at WrestleMania that uh, is not not very – I watched that match earlier. It's not it's not very good either because it no. just yeah. – and then, and then he wins the – million dollar title at SummerSlam. They do and then and then they face then they're on opposite sides of Survivor Series. The feud lasted all year. Yeah. You know, the, the feud last but even long before the feud, Virgil would side eye DiBiase when he would go too far in running him down or talking about him. You know, starting about I would say 88, 89 is when that when, when that all started where they would start planting seeds because the idea was eventually he was going to turn on. Yeah. And they made you wait years and years. Very similar to Wardlow MJF, except they waited even longer in this case than they did with Wardlow and MJF. What they wait like three years or something like that. This one, they probably waited five years or whatever the case was to, to do the turn. And then they did it at the Royal Rumble match, which was Dusty's last match, Dusty and Dustin versus uh, DiBiase. And that's, you just talked about the post-match where DiBiase was like, think about your mother, think about your family. But they do the turn, it gets the big pop, and Virgil's over. I mean, he's over for in 1991. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, they 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 have the match at WrestleMania. They have the match at SummerSlam. He wins the million-dollar belt. But then after that, what are you supposed to do with this guy? He's right, not there, was, there was nothing worker. else. Yeah, he, ter- not a good promo either. Not a good worker. Yeah, awful promo. He yeah. was a terrible promo. Some of his promos are just all-time bad oh, stuff. There's one where, where Yokozuna beats him at, I believe, you know, I think it's Survivor Series 1992. And that's when they're trying to build up Yoko to get him ready for the Royal Rumble and he's going to win it or whatever. So he squashes Virgil in like a minute. And I remember they go to the back and I forget if it was Lord Alfred or, or, or who was interviewing or Sean Mooney or whatever. And Virgil's just like, oh, man, 
that Yakazuma man, he beat me up good. It's just like, right. oh, yeah. it's so bad. Names. It's really bad. It's like yeah. he doesn't know his uh, name. He's just like, I tell you, the World Wrestling Federation better watch out for Yakazuma man. He's going to come and he's yeah. going to beat all of y'all. And it's like, what is going on? It's so bad. Yeah. He was not a good not, promo. Yeah. yeah, He was not a good promo at all. He couldn't talk. Um, and after that, feud wound down they used them to put over new heels like yeah. they bring in repo man and he'd lose the repo man they bring in nails he'd lose to nails you know they'd bring in uh you know whoever the yakazuma the heel yeah, was yakazuma uh, yakazuma you know and and the other thing it, where you knew he wasn't really getting pushed anymore is he they stopped booking him on pay-per-views with the exception of the royal rumble because you needed 30 fucking guys so you know and then when he was on pay-per-view it would always be putting people over yokozuna at at survivor series or I know he lost to nails on some fucking pay-per-view during that era too. So, um, SummerSlam, you know, I think, I think uh, it was SummerSlam 92. He lost to nails to build up yeah. for nails versus, uh, uh, big boss man. Yeah. And then at that point, you know, he was just a, he was just a prelim guy on the roster who they kept around. And sometimes you wouldn't see him on TV for, for ages. And then you'd see him at the rumble and remember he was employed, but he'd be on shows like, like mania, like the sea shows yeah. Oh, yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. the time, you know, and, and shit like that. Usually losing to, to, to one of these heels. And then uh, towards the end, what happened to him was, is the same thing that happens to a lot of guys at the end of their run in that company. He even went as far as becoming a dude who on the syndicated shows, he would be the other partner in a jobber tag team against a push tag team. You know, like he'd be the guy that wouldn't get pinned but he would be teaming with some jobber and, you know, he would start the match and get some offense and then tag out and then the jobber would lose. And that's when you really know you're cooked in that company during that era, when they're using you in that role. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, that, that Nikolai Volkov match I talked about, you know, that was his final program in the company. And they, they were even putting, you know, Nikolai Volkov wasn't beating anybody in those days. And he was even Virgil was even losing the feud to Nikolai. Like Nikolai was beating Virgil like a drum and beating him on TV. And that was really it for him. You know, he, he wrapped it up in 94 and um, he didn't pop up again until a couple of years later when WCW brought him in as Vincent. Yeah. Deep into the NWO. As, I mean, well, not deep into the NWO. It was still very early NWO. I think at that point it was Hogan Hall. <coughs> sorry. Uh, Nash six giant DiBiase, and then the next guy was, was was Vincent I'm pretty sure yeah and obviously Vincent a you know and, and when you when you watch the promo it's it's kind of funny I watched his debut earlier today and Eric Bischoff is at the commentary he's still WCW commentator Eric Bischoff this time he hadn't joined the NWO or whatever and all the NWO guys go hey uh Scott Hall goes I want you to do our newest member Vince and everyone goes where's Vince where's Vince and Eric Bischoff goes Vincent Vincent where's Vincent he because obviously they wanted it to be Vincent they wanted they didn't want yeah. it to be Vince but none of the other NWO guys got that they all thought they were calling him Vince so Hulk Hogan goes right. oh here's Vince right. brother <laughs> it's like Hall's like yeah. where's all right where's Vince and it's like no Vincent Vincent and you come here to Eric Bischoff be like what do you mean Vincent what, where's Vincent who's Vincent who's you know it's a, and he comes out so it's and obviously he's, Bischoff's idea and calling him Vince was too on the nose exactly so he's like no Vincent. Uh, Vincent is this name Vincent is that the guy's name Vincent and they're like all right Vince bro it's, all right yeah. I'm trying to call him Vince uh so then uh you know he comes out and he's quote unquote the bodyguard or whatever and he was less in the nwo and in wcw he was no longer the manservant you know vincent he was just 
whatever. He was just a guy in the he background. He was like a, their job guy. He would right, take their right. bumps. He yeah. was there to take their bumps. You know, yeah. Baby faces would beat him up. And, and remarkably, but, as, um, as you mentioned, like remarkable lack of pay-per-view matches for, for, for Virgil, Vincent, whatever. So he in WCW was in two pay-per-views that were not the World War III Battle Royal. In his entire time there, from 1996 yeah. until, I think, late 1999, 2000 he was there in 2000 yeah curly bill yeah, he did he did his run as curly bill for a little bit yeah starcade 1997 he teams with randy savage and scott norton against ray trailer and the steiner brothers and then uncensored 1999 stevie ray versus vincent in a harlem street fight oh, <laughs> joe go back and watch that match i i will i am very to. sure that one is as uh, bad no. as i remember it uh that is yeah that is not very good but uh yeah then he you know he stuck around for a long time there uh, he at one point became Shane, get it? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then he became Curly Bill, a member of the West Texas, Texas Rednecks, and and then that was yeah. it for that was it. Because the first. joke is he's a black guy yeah. in the West Texas Rednecks, <laughs> and then uh, he even worked as Mike Jones at the end. So did he have a run as Mike I, Jones there in in, in WCW? Yeah, in wow. Now, now I have no recollection of it. I, I was don't remember that at all. Most definitely checked out by then, but um, yeah, it looks like he lost to Tank Abbott on Thunder. And uh, damn, I don't I don't remember the Mike Jones era. I remember the Shane era. I do not remember Mike Jones era, but there you go. Yeah. Working as Mike Jones. So um, they tried a little bit of everything. Going on. But yeah, that's uh, that's Mike Jones slash Virgil slash Vincent. Uh, you know, a, a constant figure on television during some of the most popular eras of pro wrestling yeah yeah drew 101 drew 101 from our discord put it perfectly he's wrestling forrest gump he's just he's there for Uh, everything yeah yeah he's there for uh, all of hulkamania the in at the post hulkamania the thick of the mm -hmm. attitude era the downslope of that and then the irony like indie era he's hanging around too and he was in AEW. remember when he was in AEW at the beginning with doing a dynamite stuff got him in yeah (laughs) Janela got him in to, to cut a promo on TV, so or pre-tape anyway. But um, yeah, he just checked out there for a couple years. Those terrible years in the mid '90s where nothing was going on anyway, and NWCW brought him back at you know the height of their business. So uh, that is Virgil. Anything else on Virgil? Nothing else on uh, on Virgil. So rest in peace to. Oh, uh... he did have a gigantic penis verified by anyone who ever saw it. Yeah, well so known, well known. Yes, uh, Lanny Poffo era. Like, like he's in that realm, right? The, the... just an enormous, enormous uh, penis, just packing heat good, uh, good by every account. Yes, a too cold Scorpio like enormous. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, so we're we're talking for, Scorpio uh, level for... here. Yeah. So yeah. Lanny Poffo, uh, uh, who who are the all time like those well are the, known... I mean Scorpio and Virgil are the two I always hear. Scorpio, you know, Virgil, Poffo, obviously Lanny Poffo, He's... but Lanny Poffo is more the flexibility help. I'm sure that the you got to have a pretty good. Got it's got to be a combo. Gotta, it's got to be yeah. a combo <laughs> to do what you Lanny Poffo did. You, you got to have gotta flexibility have and you got to have a, a, a pretty big. And then uh... you need you need help on both ends. You know? Right. It's right. Like... Right. It's like when you bet an over in a football game, both teams have to score. You, you need a little help on <laughs> right, both ends. You definitely do. You know? And then uh, who else would be like your, your, to round it out? Ron, Ron Fuller, right? 
Oh, not Ron yeah, Fuller. Ron not Ron Fuller. Yeah, no. uh, Rob. Rob, Rob Fuller. Fuller. Rob Fuller. Fuller is well known as the the big hog. Rob Fuller has the big hog. Yeah. Those are probably that's probably your. That's Mount the Pantheon, Rushmore. right? That's the Mount Rushmore that's, of pro wrestling dicks, right? That's the Mount Rushmore of gigantic pro wrestling dicks. Would be those four guys. I think would have to be it. Are we forgetting anyone obvious? I don't think Scorp, so. Virgil, Lanny, and 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 Rob Fuller. No, th- th- that's my list. That's it. It's got to be it. Yeah. Feel free to chime in in the chat room if you'd like. But uh... hell yes, and I'm sure they will because they're a bunch of psychopaths. <laughs> People yes. are bringing up Batista. I don't know that that one was always that's dumb. a meme. That's a meme. That's a meme. That's a meme. I don't buy it. We're talking real. I mean these these guys are well known. These are legitimate giant hogs. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I don't want to hear about your memes. Yeah. Get your memes out of here. This is uh, serious shit here. Uh, anyway, so that is uh, that is Oli, and that is Virgil. And, uh, Joe, that's it for the Flash Show. <laughs> Two hours and 30 minutes. Now, we uh, got a few more topics to get to. I, um, Man, I don't know how we're going to get to. I think we're going to have to do an overrun for this one, I think. Where, do you, where are you I at? There's, there's no doubt about it. There's no um, doubt about it. Let, let's, do get in, Let, let's do AEW. Let's do AEW for get sure. AEW, we got to get in. We got to get in. I think we're going to have to, yeah. WWE Elimination Chamber, Maxine Dupree Gate, Observer well, Awards, New Japan. I think you're all our, I think you're overrun, here's unfortunately. People already heard your take on Elimination Chamber. People already heard my take on the Observer Awards. So we could push those off of this show and onto a potential overrun. We got to preview Revolution. God, has pre- to take we cannot precedent. skip AEW Revolution and Sting's last match. That can't go to the overrun. So, right. That Let, we have to do. Everything else is going to get pushed. Right. So 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 let's do that. Uh, by Depending the way, how long this takes? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, AW Revolution uh, coming up this Sunday again. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our uh, Patreon, ten dollar tier flagship patreon.com patreon.com slash voices of wrestling voices of wrestling.com slash patreon. However you want to do it. Uh, ten dollar tier Instagram. Actually, I have immediately following the show, so make sure you subscribe and you are ready to go uh, for when the show ends, and we'll go live about five ten minutes or so. Uh, after the show but it looks like a hell of a card on 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 paper and that's you know not including the fact that you're going to be able to see sting's final match and that match which should main event will probably main event subscribe and if you subscribe for that instant reaction okay you're going to get rich's audio review of the elimination chamber Mm -hmm. and you're going to get my 90 plus minutes of the wrestling observer hall of fame breakdown okay which are two pieces of audio that everybody seemed to enjoy a lot and We've got some stuff in the works that, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and do some kind of hard sell, cheesy fucking tease. I'm not going to do Mean Gene with the 900 line. But uh, there's potentially some stuff coming in March that's very interesting, too, that you're going to probably want to be subscribed for as well. So um, we're still working out the details on some of it, but um, there's there's a lot of content coming. But anyway, uh, first piece of business is this Sunday, AEW Revolution Instant Reaction Live, $10 tier. Absolutely. Go ahead. Cannot wait. Sorry, yeah. Sorry. Always. No, no. And that's always our most popular show. Uh, chat room is always really lively as well. So it's a really cool time to, to, to I, if you can be there live, I really do recommend being there live. And obviously you can listen to the replay uh, on the Patreon as well. We put it up an audio file for everybody uh, on the $10 tier as well. But if you can be there live, it's a hell of a time. The chat room is always buzzing. A lot of discussion about the matches, a lot of discussion about the show. So really recommend checking that out and, and, and being a part of the community on that uh, uh, pay-per-view post show as well. So that's coming up Sunday, of course. After Revolution and after what will be Sting's final match, which I assume, I'm hoping, will be the main event here. Uh, AW World Tag Team Title Tornado Match. Darby Allen and Sting defending the titles against the Young Bucks, Matthew Jackson, 
and Nicholas Jackson. I mean, the, the emotion of this match is going to be crazy. Greensboro, Sting. I, I, I mean, this is going to be this is going to be an unbelievable moment. I, I, I can't wait so, for this match. So, what do you think? Do you think he does the job? What do you think? I think, and I, I, I've kind of wrestled this with, with this a lot. And we've talked about this when they booked this match. That I am positive the Young Bucks are going to get to the arena and say there's no way we're winning this match. And I'm sure Sting's going to get to the arena and say there's no way I'm winning this match because that's not Sting's thing. He just had a, an article up on on SI.com today where where he got interviewed and said, "I like losing. I don't like winning. I like to lose. All that sort of stuff. Like losing is just as important as winning sometimes or whatever." So that's always been hit. He's like one of the most you know selfless major stars in wrestling history. So he's not going to want to win. The Bucks aren't going to want to win. But I think that there's a way you can do this where Darby gets the pin. What you can do is, is you know, it's a tornado tag, so guys are going to be all over the place. I think that the, the, the most obvious thing to do is Sting has one of the Bucks in a scorpion. Darby either does a coffin drop or maybe Darby does a scorpion of his own. And one of the Jacksons taps out, and, and that's how the match ends. It doesn't have to necessarily be Sting hitting a scorpion death drop in the middle of the ring on Matt Jackson and pinning him for the one, two, three. I think there's a way where he can be kind of a background guy, getting, you know, having the move on, having the scorpion death lock on, and Darby ultimately gets the big pinfall, and Darby's the one that you're going to kind of put the spotlight on because the Bucks are not going to want to win this match. And I don't think it's a good idea to have the Bucks win the match. That's, that's, that's too much heat. I don't think you need that kind of heat. But I think Darby getting the win is probably the best way to do it because I don't I I don't think Sting, you know, pinning. A, I don't think he's going to want to do that either. I think Sting would sort of be embarrassed about pinning a guy in the middle of the ring with a Scorpion Death Drop on his retirement match. I, I don't think he would want to do that either. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think the way that also the feud's been built um, that they'll retain and then just you know abandon the titles is what they'll do. Um, it would feel weird to have the Bucks win it. Do you think Flair turns on Sting one more time? Um, I mean, he did. The, he already did kind of the the fake. He kind of did the fake turn already on well, Dynamite. Well, look, so. well, look, that angle, that angle on Dynamite was a mess. Let I mean, look, it, Flair's it, a mess. You know what? Get, I, I don't want any flair in this man. I, flair can be there at well, ringside. I don't well, want to get gonna, him involved. The problem is he's going to be. I don't but, want him involved physically. He can't do anything physically anymore. The angle was a mess from the standpoint of it was totally illogical, but I get it. People want to see Sting repel from the ceiling, so no one cares, and I guess you know that's fine. But, you know, Flair wants to meet with the Bucks and then meets with them because he's all insulted and put off by Sting and Darby. The Bucks tell Renee that the meeting went well, and then Flair comes out and sides with Darby. I mean, what the fuck was that? You know what I mean? Are they saving Flair's turn for the pay-per-view? Um, because I know, I understand you don't want to see it. Flair can't do anything, and he's 80 and, and, and all this. But he's obviously going to be involved in this. He's going to be involved in that. something. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one more turn, and then they kind of send him packing or something. Like that. I, I I don't know. It, it, I kind of feel like what we saw. Oh, God. Lost a headphone there. There we go. Back? I'm back. All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> I think what we saw in Dynamite is probably what we need to kind of I think he can be – if, if Flair wants to come out with Sting, that's fine. I don't think we need one more turn, and I don't think we need anything physical with Flair. I think that would take away from the moment. I think he could be out yeah. there. Maybe he can stop Brandon Cutler. You know, maybe, maybe Brandon Cutler runs down and Flair chops Brandon Cutler or something like that. I, I would do something like that. Him getting in the ring and doing any sort of physical stuff to Sting, it looks preposterous to have the Bucks have to sell for this guy. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 I, we're past that point with Flair. I, I think – I think Guy at I ringside, chop Brandon Cutler, that's all we need, I think. Yeah, you keep it simple. Sting thwarts an attempt of Flair screwing him again. 
which would be a nice way to cap it all off years of Flair screwing Sting and backstabbing him. And you keep it simple, and Sting wins the match. And you raise his hand, and the place goes nuts, and you go off the air. I mean, keep it simple. Don't overthink this one. I, I can envision a scenario where Sting loses, and it's fine. But why even fuck around? You know, just just have him win the fucking match. The Bucks will be fine. It doesn't matter. It's not going to hurt them to lose this match. Everybody wants them to lose the match. So it can't hurt them. And they want to lose the match, too. Let's be honest. Those guys, yeah. they like losing, too. So All right. So this this three-way title match. So I didn't like the opening segments of Dynamite this week. I, You know, I just think it's silly to have Adam Page have this <laughs> convoluted plan. It's just that a lot of work. The There's a lot of work to hit a guy with a crutch. Just hit a guy with a, a lot of work. weapon. <laughs> just a hit a guy with something. Yeah. To fake an injury the week before, to set up a crutch. What happens if Swerve doesn't come out? Your whole plan is foiled. <laughs> right, now you look match. like a doofus with and your ankle. you're not even in, in a... the match because right. you pulled out of the match. Right, you pulled out of the so, match and your ankle's in a, in a, in, you're in a boot with crutches. And yeah, I, I, yeah, a lot of work to get to not that big of a payoff. So I, that, I was, a raw, that was a raw-ass segment is what that was. I agree. The week Oli dies. The constructor of the only turn on Dusty, we get this raw ass segment to open up Dynamite. I, you know, find another way to hit that guy with the crutch. Then, then it just wasn't well thought out. But whatever, he's going to cost. I am more convinced than ever that Samoa Joe's retaining, and Hangman is just going to cost Swerve the title in some fashion, either by sacrificing himself and letting Joe beat him in some manner, not letting him beat him with like a finger poke of doom scenario, but maybe absorbing a Samoa Joe move and, and, and it's, it's something I've seen a double submission scenario laid out where hangman taps before Joe taps to ensure that hangman's the, that Joe's the winner. So swerve doesn't, I've seen some scenarios laid out. They're going to do one of them. This is not the time to do the title change. I, I think this is, this is a, if you, if you're gonna, if you want to put this title on swerve, this is a bad time to do it because there's a, it, it, the whole hangman thing is distracting. He's mm-hmm. got to get past that first and then be in a one-on-one match and win it in a big spot. He shouldn't win it in this messy scenario. Yeah, I agree. It's been it's been a lot of work to get to this three-way. I, I haven't loved the build at all for, for this three-way. I don't like three-ways, and I think this guy winning in a three-way would feel kind of cheap. You know what I mean? It would, it, yes, Because I, I could see a scenario where he pins Hangman or whatever, and it's like Samoa Joe says, oh, you never pinned me for that. But then he, just, he immediately comes across as – this kind of lesser champion. And I don't think you want to do that. And I think if you are, are turning swerve babyface, which it seems all indications are that that's what they want to do. He w- he should get a more triumphant win here. So I think maybe getting screwed out of this by, by hangman, maybe he's basically got the pinfall ready or something. I don't know what, what you do, but I would, I'm, I'm with you. I think hangman has to do something where him and hangman have to have one more match. He has to f- definitively put hangman away and then go and face Joe and win the title there or, or or whatever. I just don't like the idea of him winning the title in a three-way. I think I, – I I don't know. It's just every three-way – and this is why I don't like three-ways too is it, it, it immediately comes across as cheap. If you win the title via a three-way, it just feels like it comes across cheap. Whereas, I, I you know, if a guy retains the title in a three-way, that's fine. You know, oh, the odds are against him because there's two guys and uh, he can be pinned by – you know, he doesn't have to get pinned and then he'll lose the title or whatever. Like that, that that works for me. That's fine. But the idea of a guy winning a title in a three-way, I, I, I never love that. And especially if this not, is the big coronation for Swerve, that, this isn't a good time to do it. No, this isn't a good time to do it. And not only that, this is Sting's night. He's not even going to have full attention on his title win. There's that aspect too. 
he should win the title when he's main eventing a pay-per-view or when they do a big television show and he's like like a grand slam or something like that where all of the attention is on him winning the title and and ascending to the top of the card not in this dopey three-way with this silly sports entertainment story when sting's retirement is going to be the headline the next day not him winning the title what do you think about the idea that maybe swerve has joe pinned and hangman comes from behind and tosses swerve out and pins joe to kind of solidify his heel turn my next point was going to be I now if you're going to do a title change here it should be Hangman winning not Swerve via and nefarious then Swerve cheating means. Yeah, right, yes. right, right, right. And then it plays into the story of Hangman playing the keep away with this title from Swerve. Like you're never going to get it now you have to go through me. And I'm never even going to give you a title shot. And you know, and Hangman can keep doing this crazy person routine who's on the brink of losing his reality cuz because he doesn't want Strickland to win this title. I think you keep that going. Yeah. I don't even think that story has peaked yet. Like that piece of the story. I agree. Has peaked yet. None of the, this is the wrong time for Swerve to win. I think this would be a mistake. Now, a lot of people would praise it because a lot of people want him to win the title, but I just think you need to wait for a better spot. Than there's, this a, there's a better and, moment. Oh, I don't think he's going to get and, ice cold in the next month or two, but, but, but I think that you want his win. Risk. There's always the risk. There, there is but, always the risk. But I think if you, if you got a well, if 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 you can construct a well, you know, well laid out story, this guy could be even a bigger deal in two months, three months, four months when you eventually do this. You know what else concerns me about all this? Every time these guys do an angle or a promo, Joe eats the other two for fucking lunch. He does. He, yeah, and that's the problem too. Is do, do I want to take the title off of Joe? Because Joe's really fucking good as the champion. Really good. I, I'm sorry, but Joe outshines both of these guys on the stick every time there's a promo. And this is not just a me opinion because I like Joe's promos better. And those and listen, it's not even any fault of those two. They, those two guys are good on the stick. I don't have any beef with Hangman. Nah, Joe's Joe though. Joe's Joe. Joe eats them up, and 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 the crowds always pop biggest for Joe. Well, because those guys are so convoluted with the way they get to, and that's kind of one of the problems I have with Swerve's promos. And it's one of the issues sometimes I have with Hangman's. Most of the time, Hangman's promos are fine. I know right now he's kind of doing the pseudo heel thing or whatever, so it's okay. Swerve's promos are still they, they meander a lot. He, he's not really getting to a point. And then Joe picks up the mic and he's like, "Both of you are going down at Revolution, bam!" And it's just like, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like no nonsense. Enough, you know, enough. You guys, enough pussyfooting around this. Come Sunday, you guys are both going to lose, bam, and that's it. And that's yeah. all Joe has to say. And everyone's just not like, yeah. for that guy. <laughs> right. When the essence of his promos are, "You two crybabies are busy crying, but I'm just going to beat the shit out of both you, and I'm going to keep this up." Right, right, like that. And, and, Obviously, he comes off cooler than right. these other two guys. Because Swerve's, you know, and very meandering, and he's kind of like, and you know, he's going up and he's going down. He's going and he's going. You do- know what the problem is? He's doing these soliloquies, Swerve. and it's like, get it out, man, get it out. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. And he's just, he's just not as authentic as Joe. He doesn't come. He right, comes right. across as more. In- Swerve still comes across like he's doing this character. Joe doesn't come across that way. Joe comes across like just the realest dude in the room. So th- that's a that's a problem too. So this is not the time for Swerve to win. I think it'll be a mistake. I can buy a Hangman win. I can. Look, as good as Samoa Joe is, he's not a needle mover at this stage of his career. He's not a guy who's... But I'll tell you what, though. The Dynamite ratings have been pretty good lately. They've been they've been pretty solid. Yeah. I'll tell you what. And, you know, the, the secondary shows, when the schedule's not getting all fucked up, have had some good weeks, too. So... Listen, getting back to what AEW, meat and potatoes, fucking what they do, has kind of given them a little more momentum here. And, you know, obviously the Greensboro show is selling a million tickets and everything else. But um, 
Yeah, I could buy a Hangman win for the sake of the story with Swerve. I can buy Samoa Joe retaining. But the one thing I don't want to see here is Swerve win the title yet. Uh, we'll move on to Orange Cassidy versus Roderick Strong for the AEW International title. I have a feeling this will be a pretty good match. I can't say that I'm super excited about it. I haven't really loved a lot of the, I mean, the the, the undisputed whatever the fucks are, are ice cold right now. So I think maybe it's a good idea to move this title to Roderick to try to give them some juice while MJF is still gone. And they're just kind of fucking around on the undercard or in the midcard or whatever. But I, I think you got, I, I feel like that's the direction you have to go, but I... I don't know, man. It, it's I kind of just want to pretend that the undisputed thing doesn't exist and just move on without them. But uh, Roderick's too good, and 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 I think it's probably time for Cassidy to lose that title and move on to something else. But that's what I said it all in, and then he just won the title back a couple weeks later. So I I, I don't know what their long term plan is with Orange Cassidy. If I have, if I had a better idea of what their long term plan was for Orange Cassidy, I definitively say, hey, get give Roger Strong this title, let them go run off with it. But without knowing what the hell's next for Orange Cassidy, I'm a little worried about him losing this title too. So I. I this is kind of a toss-up for me. This is 50-50. I could go either way. Uh, it, there is no plan for Orange Cassidy. If they had any plans for Orange Cassidy, they had an opportunity when he lost the title to Moxley to lose up, and they did. They chose not to take it. This is who he is. This is his slot, and it will always be his slot. This match isn't about Orange Cassidy. I'm telling you right now, Roderick Strong needs to win this match 100%, and the Wardlaw has to win that scramble match 100%. This undisputed kingdom they are shit. They're ice cold. They are ice cold. They have to win, have to, both of those matches. Otherwise, it's obvious to me that they don't care about this group. And the problem with that is you can't just then automatically heat them up when MJF shows up again. You have to give these guys some momentum, and they have none. And the only times that we've really seen them wrestle, they've been losing. And I know it's the kingdom. I know it's been Mike Bennett and Taven that are doing the losing, and that's fine. But this is Roddy and Wardlaw. They must win. Roddy has to win this title. You got to put some gold. So these guys have to come out with some titles, you know, and the other guys have the ROH tag titles. And the Wardlaw has to win that, that scramble match. He's been talking about coming after Samoa Joe, and that scramble match is for a title shot. And we all think Joe is probably going to retain. Wardlaw has to win, period. Roderick Strong has to win, period. Those are the only booking moves that make sense here. And if that's not what they do, I'm going to come on here on Sunday night and I'm going to bury any result that runs counter to that. It just has to be. Right, because that, 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 that they're dying on the vine. Frozen. They're dying they're frozen. on the vine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they, 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 it's it's rough. Yeah, they came out the other day. I forget what show I was watching. I was just like, holy crap, this unit is fucking terrible. I think it was Mike Bennett. Yeah. What was the match? It was Mike Bennett and ah, fuck, who did well, he wrestle? Either the Bennett, the Bennett versus Orange Cassidy. Yeah, maybe it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bennett versus Orange Cassidy. I'm just like, yeah, these dudes, they came out to crickets. I mean, nobody booed. Nobody cared. I was just it like. It didn't help that the match wasn't any good. Now, right, Taven right. had a great match. Taven, Taven, had, a great had, match. A great Taven match. had a great match. Taven had a great match. Yes. Yeah, the, the Bennett match was a nothing match. You know, and, and we've seen Orange Cassidy do this thing where he defends the belt. Look, that was his deal in toy, and it was great. He had a great year. But we did that. We told that story already. We did that. We told that story. I don't know what the fuck was supposed to happen with Moxley, but obviously all that got fucked up. I don't even know if Cassidy, like, I don't even know if we're supposed to be here. But we're here. But Roderick Strong has to fucking win. You can't beat him in this match. You just can't. And then uh, move on to the women's title match here. Tony Storm uh, versus Deanna Perrazzo. I am... Uh... 
not looking forward to this match at all. I have uh, so Perazzo's output has not been very good on AEW. I think the Tony, obviously, time is Tony. I'm I'm well yeah. well documented. I hate the character. It makes her matches worse. She hasn't really had a good match since the time was Tony thing. So. I don't know that. I mean, hopefully they over deliver. I hope they do. But the fact that Peraza's had a lot of not very good matches in AEW so far, and Timeless Tony's yet to have a good match in that gimmick, does not have me very, uh, 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 very ambitious uh, for, for or very, you know, very confident of what we're going to see on Sunday. Um, Timeless Tony sucks, but there is an audience for it. I believe it won best gimmick in the Observer. I believe it won best gimmick in the the fightful things. So there, there's a, a, a segment of the fan base who enjoys it. Um, I think it sucks. I think it's people just, are dumb. It, 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 <laughs> Those people are dumb. That gimmicks. Well, stinks. yeah. I, all right, you're not going to be as diplomatic as me, okay? But um, no, look, it, it's a mid card gimmick. It's it's you know, and I would prefer if the eventual story that they tell with Mariah May, the all about Eve deal that they're doing, didn't revolve around the title, and they just kind of did that story as a mid card story. But unfortunately, I think it has to involve the title in order to tell the story properly, right? Because she has to come for her title. That's kind of like coming for her role. If this was the, you know, if this was Hollywood, real Hollywood, you know what I mean? That would be yeah, the right, essence right. of the story. She has to be coming for something. And that something is the title, which fucking sucks because you've got this women's division with Monet coming in and maybe fucking um, Camille Brick and, 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 um, you know, uh, and, and Serena Deeb getting a new push and all these new people coming into this division. And the title is all wrapped up in this cartoon. But there is an audience for it. I know it's divisive. You know, got a lot of votes for worse gimmick, too. Um, but you just it's unfortunately, it's something there. If you don't like it, you got to live with it. I think she's going to retain because I think that the story with Mariah May necessitates her having the title. Unfortunately, right. It feels weird to beat Peraza in this spot because if this were traditional pro wrestling booking, Without the Mariah May thing hanging over it, Peraza would win, right? So I don't know where that leaves her by not winning. And I don't know how you involve someone like Monet. You can't – you have to leave her out of the title scene. And Look, this Tony Storm thing has become a burden. Right, it's a, it's it a total burden be... on the women's division. I, what would be great is if Mariah May tries to help her, she fucks up, Peraza wins, and then Tony and Mariah can have their little dumb feud – Away from the title, and then he said, Peraza's there, and money comes out, and then you have Peraza and money right. as your first money, you know, big thing, and then maybe haters back yeah. soon, or, or something. You know, I mean, like, because you said it's just yeah, this, this exactly. fucking anchor on the entire division that you got woman who says things funny, ha ha ha, is, is the main, and it's just like, again, I'm not going to be down with a gimmick that makes somebody a worse wrestler, and she's significantly worse as timeless Tony than she was. Uh, as as Tony Storm because she's playing to the gimmick and playing to the character or whatever. But yeah, it's this total cartoon thing that not a lot of other people can exist in her universe because she's such a fucking right. cartoon. Right. So Perazzo can because they actually have like a history and a background or whatever. But you can't have money come in and deal with this shit. Like, are you kidding me? I, you know what's scary is Tony might see that, no pun intended, as a money feud because he loves the Tony Storm gimmick. Yeah, he loves it. He's, he's yeah. I don't. I don't know. It's so. To me, like you said, it's an anchor on the whole division. Uh, then a match that I am positive I'm going to fucking love. Eddie Kingston versus Brian Danielson for this triple crown thing. Uh, yeah, just what more do you want than this? It's going to fucking rock. Brian Danielson doesn't miss. Yeah. Eddie Kingston rarely misses in big spots like this. This is going to fucking rock. Well, he won't miss with Danielson. I mean, Kingston is apt to miss from time to time. He's, he ain't missing in this spot, and he's not missing against Brian <laughs> Danielson. When he has Brian an Danielson. off night. Yeah, he's not missing in this one against Brian Danielson. Won't allow that. Um, 
Now Kingston has to win. Danielson just beat him in the trios match. That's just old school classic booking where the title, the heel title challenger gets the better of the babyface champion on TV on the go home. That's your tip off that the babyface is winning. He should win anyway. It's Danielson's last year as a full-time wrestler. They're doing the stipulation where he has to acknowledge him and shake his hand, right? And respect him and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, Kingston's going to win. He has to win. Well, um, I was going to say, what do you, you know, we love you. We've talked a lot about how Eddie, the best Eddie Kingston is the tortured, miserable Eddie Kingston. Yeah. I don't think it would be well, the worst thing ever to have Brian Danielson beat him. If you're keeping the feud going. Right. That can't be the blow off. Oh, no, no, of course That's not. The thing. Yeah, it can't be the blow off. If this is the blow off, Kingston has to win. And I assume it's the blow off, but you might be right. Maybe Danielson wins the triple crown. And then Kingston, they build to Kingston winning it back in fucking Queen, in in fucking Arthur Ashe or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know that's possible. You, you notice how every year people fantasy book Kingston doing something big at, at Arthur Ashe. <laughs> it never happens. <laughs> like he's fucking Tom Seaver. Like he's some icon in Queens, New York. You know, it's like he isn't. He isn't really, to be honest. Um, he's not even from Queens, right? Like that's not <laughs> yeah, even his thing. Like, no, he's not. Yeah, he's not from, he's from a different borough. Like it's not even like ah, close you know. enough. Yeah, close enough. Some Yonkers. Close, right? Jeez, I don't it's know. Not you... Ed Cranepool. Let's put, <laughs> pump the brakes on being a Queens, New York legend. But, uh, but yeah. So it all depends whether they're gonna uh, keep this thing going or not. Everybody feverishly googling Ed Cranepool. Yeah, go ahead, <laughs> I do have it. no idea. I didn't even bother. I'm just like, whatever. I don't care. Who is Ed Cranepool? The Mets legend. Mets legend. Ed Cranepool. I don't know if I know Ed Cranepool. I know, know Tom Seaver. You got me with Tom Seaver, but uh, I don't know. Uh... Yeah, you know, I said Seaver, but I was Tom mad at Seaver, yeah. The problem was I was mad at myself for not going deep enough, so I had to think of another one. I went with Ed Cranepool. Ed, Crane, or Ed Cranepool, all right, yeah. Yeah, World Series champion Ed Cranepool. He was on the 69 team. Okay. Come on, man. Legendary. Played like 20 years with the Mets. Um, Don't make me explain my bits. No, no, it's, no, it's, you're good. You're good. Very, I'm not explaining. We're done. We're done. We're done. You know, you just got to let it hang so people make fun of me in the Discord. Um, Yeah, so anyway, that's... Should be great, though, for sure. The next one should be great, too. But, look, I think Takeshita Osprey is going to have a gimmick finish, and I think people need to be ready for that because they're going to tell and a story. And it's going to involve Don Callis, which is going to make a lot of people yeah. piss their pants. So, Yeah, because you got to get – I think you have to get Will Osprey out of that group immediately, especially with the reception he got last night. Oh, Wednesday was the tip-off of him doing that promo, Everybody cheering him, him looking around, him looking at Callis, him looking around. They, it's over. That, 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 that we're done. We got to be done right away. I mean, you know, you, you, you got to do it now because the fans want him to be a babyface. They want to like him. And it's always been awkward that he's in that group. It has never made sense. I buried it from the start, even with the Jericho match it all in. He doesn't belong with those guys. He needs to be a babyface. Um, this is awkward. I think this match is clearly designed just to immediately tie up that storyline and get Will Ospreay away from the Don Callis family. So unfortunately that means you're not going to get a clean finish. Now are they going to go out there and have a great match? Listen, Will Ospreay is incapable of not having great matches in a singles environment in a big spot. You put him in there with another top 10 worker in the world. It's impossible that the match won't be great. Oh no, it's going to be want it to be great. Yeah. Yeah, if they want it to be great, it's going to be great. End of story. But I think people need to prepare themselves. You're not getting a clean finish here. You're getting a finish either, you know, they're going to either cheat Osprey out of the win or he's going to, you know, overcome some Don Callis bullshit. 
But Don Callis is going to be up to something because you got to get Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay, look, these fans want him to be a babyface, and this company needs a big time. Yeah, they got they need they need one. a babyface. Yeah, they have Samoa Joe's their top babyface, and he's like. Is he a babyface? He's like a heel he leaning. Yeah, he's very heel leaning, and he's a babyface only because he just doesn't fuck around and just set, you know what I mean? Like, he, he just gets right to the point, and that's what, you know, babyfaces him. But he's not, he's not, like, he is, but he's not, if that makes sense. He is a babyface, but he's not a babyface, and he's, he's not, yeah, you need, you need a very clear, everybody's in on this guy's a babyface, good guy. Even, even Swerve has shades of gray. Right, like, right, right. MJF will come back, and he'll be a babyface, but he's better suited as a heel. But he has to be a babyface when he faces Cole. And, you know, Omega's out injured with the diverculitis. Who knows what's going to happen there? I mean, the move is Will Ospreay, babyface. Don't fuck around. Just do that on this show. And then uh, Christian Cage, Daniel Garcia for the TNT title. Uh, A lot of people want Garcia to win the title here. And uh, I don't know. I think that's... (sighs) Because I think you can do the Copeland Cage thing without the title as well. So maybe you have a situation where where Copeland comes in and helps Garcia, something like that. Do you think Garcia has enough momentum going right now where he should win this title? Because I kind of think he's right there. I don't know if he's no, there I Copeland, yet. I don't know if he's there yet. I think I, I think Copeland needs to be Cage for the title, and they're going to Canada soon. Mm-hmm. So um, you're right that it probably doesn't need it, but. I don't actually, you know what? I don't know if I agree with that because the way Cage got it back from Copeland. I got, yeah, the, 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 that is a central part of their story. So they, they probably. That's a central that. part yeah, of the story, and you're kind of neutering that part of the story. Um, so I think Cage should and will retain. <laughs> and then uh, I think Copeland is the one that needs to beat him for it. And you have you're an opportunity to do it somewhere in Canada coming up. And Garcia, I don't worry about him at all. I know he loses a lot, but I think his push is going just fine. He's getting over. He's very much. Yeah, he's, um, he's getting over a lot. I'm not. what, And I know that Tony Khan loves him. So it's not like they're going to lose interest in pushing him. That's not going to happen. I am not worried about Daniel Garcia at all. He's going to be just fine. I don't think he's in any. He's, there's no danger of him leaving the company. And if he is in the company, there's no danger of him not being pushed at some point. And he's getting over. Okay. Uh, there is a point where you can beat someone too much. I don't think he's there. Um, losing all those Continental Classic matches, I'm telling you right now, that's planting seeds. He will win that tournament one day. Daniel Garcia is going to win a Continental Classic. Is he going to win this year's? I don't know. Probably not. Is he going to win one? Yes, he will. That's why he lost all those matches last year. I'm telling you right now, don't worry about his push. I am confident he's going to be or get a chance to be a player. Will they? Will the fans take to him at that level? I don't know. Probably not now. But what is he fucking twenty two? Who cares? He's still he's stupid young. I think people don't. Like, people think he's like thirty two years old. The guy is twenty five. He's twenty five. He's still very very twenty five. It's like, um, you know, I talked about this with Nick with Nick Wayne. Nick Wayne is eighteen, <laughs> right. and I see people like, right. oh, they're ruining Nick Wayne. Oh, they're <laughs> not even that. Like critical of his work, and it's like, oh yeah. What were you doing fucking... at eighteen? What were you doing at eighteen? In, yeah. in a decade he's still gonna be 28 right in in 2034 he's gonna in 2036 which sounds like the fucking jetsons he's gonna be the same age that will osprey is right now don't worry about nick wayne nick wayne doesn't have to win a match for five fucking years it doesn't matter he's he's again they're, they're doing great with him too getting to work heel a little bit you know, it's just exposure at this point for guys like this. 
You're, you're in no rush to start pulling triggers, okay? Nick Wayne has between now and 2036 to have Will Ospreay's entire <laughs> career that Will Ospreay has had to this right, point. Right, right. Think about it that way. And Garcia's fucking 25. Now, look, eventually you got to flip the switch if you believe in him, and I think it has to come soon. I don't think it has to come th- in this match on Sunday, no. Then uh tag match that I'm very much looking forward to, FTR versus Blackpool Combat Club. Claudio and Moxley, obviously Cash and, and, and Dax. So that that should be phenomenal. I, I think this 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 show, there's some stuff that I don't love about this show. Obviously the, the women's match, like I said, I'm I'm kinda down on. I don't love the three, even though I think the three is gonna probably turn out pretty good. But man, when you have matches like this, FTR versus Blackpool Combat Club, I, I mean, the matches they've had on Dynamite have been phenomenal, and I have no doubt in my mind that they're going to go out here and tear the house down again, too. So I, yeah. I, I'm very much looking forward to this. And they clearly held back two weeks ago in the first match. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could sense that, like, yeah, as the match is happening, you're like, oh, they're going to do this again, and it's going to be better than this. That, 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 when I was watching the match, that's the exact thought I had every single, you know, at, when the match ended, I was like, yeah, they have a so much better match in them, and I can't wait to see it in a couple weeks. And, and here we are. Uh, at Revolution. And then uh, All-Star 8-Man Scramble. The Meat Madness has been uh, discontinued, stopped, paused, whatever. And now we have an 8-Man Scramble. Chris Jericho, Lance Archer, Brian Cage, Powerhouse Hobbs, Wardlow, Hook. And since this is a scramble, I'm guessing Marcus Mathers, Dylan McKay, <laughs> Jordan Oliver. Like, right? It's a scramble, right? You gotta have, you you've, know. Had, you've been waiting all week to fire that one off. I have. Um, now, it's uh, Magnus beat Matt Seidel. And um, I thought Jericho was the other mystery guy. I think there's another mystery guy other than Jericho. I got Jericho, Archer, Cage, Hobbs, Wardlow, and Hook. But I haven't I haven't looked at the spoilers, so I don't. Well, Magnus is definitely in it because he Mm. um, (laughs) wins the match on Rampage, so they got a CMLO guy in there. And um, I don't know if they're going to add someone. Yeah. By the way, for people that are like, wait a minute, Magnus? No, not Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis did not is not all elite. He didn't. uh, he didn't turn. Uh, he didn't turn in his uh, SmackDown general manager role or whatever he is. Oh, no. well, uh, watch the product. Yeah, watch not product. not that Magnus. Um, folks. Yeah, watch not. the product. But um, yeah, I thought the other mystery guy Jericho fills the other role on the other because it's all taped already. All this shit. But um, anyway, the point is Wardlow has to win. I mean, let's not overthink this either. Yeah. I don't like Wardlow. I mean, um, <laughs> I saw someone in the chat earlier when I was comparing. Wardlaw, MJF to Virgil, Ted DiBiase. You're like, who's the better worker, Wardlow or Virgil? And yeah, I mean, I think Wardlow, but it's not. They're 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 joking, <laughs> but I had to think about it's it. It's not that far. It's Wardlow, but it's yeah. it, it's closer than you think. It's a conversation. Yeah, Dante Martin. I don't is know the other is the I other mean, mystery guy that's in the match. Who is it? Dante Martin. Oh, Dante Martin got in. Okay. Um. Yeah, because they couldn't put Pentagon in it because Magnus. <laughs> right. 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 You know. And by the way, Dave Meltzer was right about that. I don't know if people read my thing behind the paper, but Dave was right about that. I know that it's advantageous. There's no way. He gads. You're wrong. I know it's it's advantageous for some people to say that Dave is wrong for business reasons and things like that. And technically, he worded it poorly because that's what Dave does. He words things poorly, and that's on him. He causes his own misery a lot of the time. I talk to people who know. And I wrote about it a couple weeks ago. It's on the $5 tier when it comes to that. Is there some set in stone rule of law that the CMLL guys can't be on the same show as AAA guys? No. But is is AEW respecting 
that CMLL doesn't want their guys on the same shows as the AAA guys? Yes, yes, they are. Yes, absolutely. It's a it's a real thing, and it and it and it isn't happening. And CMLL doesn't consider Dynamite, Rampage, and Collision to be the same show, even if they're taped on the same night. If that doesn't make sense to you, ask CMLL. Don't ask me. But that they don't consider because they consider the same TV shows to be the same shows. So, you know, I saw some people saying last night because Pentagon taped a match after Atlantis Jr. wrestled the match. But Dynamite and Collision aren't considered the same thing to CMLL. Right. Okay. That that's, Two that's shows. the difference. Two separate shows in their eyes. And, and AEW and Tony, they're just being. It's a new relationship. They're they're walking on eggshells a little. And look, Tony would love to be able to book whatever he wants, but he has to gain the trust of CMLL first. And that's a very hard thing to do. You know, they're isolationists. They do business with New Japan and no one else. They're, they're a little finicky. They have their political. And you have to respect that shit. That's all. So, um, you know, Dave wasn't wrong about that. He wasn't. No, I mean, and I don't, it's people, not new news either. Like, we all knew this. It's not new. People it's have known about this for news. a decade that this has been going on. Decade, two decades. People know about this. Anybody that's been in the wrestling business for more than 10 minutes knows the score here about CML and AAA and, and, and the rules that you have to play around. Talk to any promoter that's ever promoted wrestling at every major. I mean, yeah, this is I, – I, I was blown away that that became a story. And it's like, didn't we all know this forever? But well, we got to dunk gonna, on Dave for engagement. Much. Yeah, we got to dunk on I'm Dave gonna, for engagement. So I, I get it. But And it's not even just that. I'm not going to say too much, but we know why it became a story. Baseball fans, are you excited for the upcoming season? I know I am. It is time to gear up and show your team spirit with MLB Shop, the official online store of Major League Baseball. Find the latest jerseys, hats, apparel, and collectibles for all 30 MLB teams at MLB Shop. Represent your favorite players, your hometown team, or relive classic moments with exclusive throwback gear. Gear up for the season at MLB Shop. Whether you're cheering from the stands or watching at home, show your love for the game with official MLB merchandise. Make sure you use our exclusive link, voicesofwrestling.com slash MLB shop to help support the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Again, that's voicesofwrestling.com slash MLB shop. You'll pay the exact same price, the exact same items. Everything is exactly the same about your shopping experience, but a small percentage of every sale comes back to us. So again, it's voicesofwrestling.com slash MLB shop, the official online store of Major League Baseball. Because it was an opportunity for, you know, we know why. But but it, it but he but he's not wrong. But he did word it poorly and worded it wrong. Right, as as, look, as he's want to do. <laughs> and it, look, if they're situated, they don't want them appearing on the same shows. Okay, and it's like if there's a situation where Commander accidentally appears on a show that a, that a, uh, uh, that a CMLO guy appears on, even if it's not wrestling, because they don't want them wrestling on the same shows. Like, CMLL is not thrilled about that, but Tony can talk his way out of that. You know what I mean? It's like, again, there's not, it's not rule of law. There can be slip ups and, and it can be, you know, it's not like if the, two of these guys appear on the same show, Tony's going to jail or CMLL is going to stop doing business with him. <laughs> right. You know, you see, people just are too literal. They're too literal. But the base of it is true that they don't want their guys wrestling on the same show as AAA guys. Right, right. And, and like and what... you said, this is. And it's been going on forever. And one thing that Tony's doing that a lot, because I've seen a lot of people be like critical of AEW and like, oh, come on, I can't believe, you know, 
AEW would do, you know, not going to book Mexican guy. It's not AEW. It's there. AEW is doing better than most other companies ever because most other companies say, all right, you know what? We don't want to deal with this shit. So we're just going to work with AAA. We're never going to book any of the CML guys. We're just going to work with AAA. Or the flip side, New Japan for wrestling. We're only going to work with CML. We're never going to book any AAA guys. So he's one of the few guys that's trying to work with both of these companies, but also respecting what both companies want out of their relationships and what both companies want to do in relation to the other you know, major Mexican wrestling promotion. So it's very difficult. you got to walk in eggshells. And a lot of promoters have walked in eggshells. And a lot of promoters have just said, fuck it, I don't want to deal with this shit. I'm just going to book one or the other. Tony's one of the rare ones that's tried to book both of them. But then you got to kind of dance around this thing and walk on eggshells and be very deliberate about who appears where and how they appear and all that sort of stuff. But, but this again, this has been going on for decades. So I, I, I was blown away that it became a, re- a story. But, of course, it became a story. Because, yeah, for all the reasons we just talked about. All right. Anyway, so that's uh, – I'm sure they'll announce some stuff for the pre-show and how many matches we have. One, right. two, yeah, four, there's going to be something. Six, seven, eight, nine. They could add to the main show. Yeah, we'll Maybe get some not, Willow but... thing on the pre-show or something. I'm sure we'll get something like that. Sky Blue's got to find bang, a way in there. Scissor Gang or something. <laughs> yeah, bang, yeah. Bang, scissor Gang. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's uh, Revolution. Let's squeeze in one more quickie before we turn to the overrun. Um, let's do this Maxine Dupree gate very quick. Okay. Cause I don't think, I don't think we're going to be debating this. Um, as I'm sure most people know by now, a fan, by the way, posted like a 11 second clip of, uh, fans booing Maxine Dupree at a house show and one fan yelling, you suck. Don't come back. Um, and this fan was outraged that, you know, that this is uh, verbal abuse, people are saying, and and uh, she's a rookie trying her best, and this was totally out of line. And then, of course, Rhea Ripley has to jump in and stir the pot by uh, agreeing with those sentiments. Um, obviously, people know can probably figure out what we're going to say. It's utterly, <laughs> it's, it's not hard to figure. It's out. utterly fucking our, ridiculous. Our stats on Rich, this. Let me ask you a couple yeah, questions. So, so, real quickly, here's the tweet. Uh, it, again, it's 11 seconds or whatever. The the tweet says, "This poor girl is getting booed at a house show for trying to get better. Wrestling fans suck." And Rhea Ripley quote tweeted that by saying, "I really wish that some of you got booed and ridiculed in the public eye while being new at your job. Learning and getting better is all a part of being human. Be better." as humans so i don't have a problem with the fan because fans are fans and it's it could be a kid and the fan is just dopey and who cares it's just a fan and the fan is obviously wrong um but the fan's heart i guess is in the right place but the fan's wrong the fan Um, also has a maxine dupree uh uh, profile picture so i think that plays a little bit in it as well uh i'm not gonna the problem here is the problem here is rhea ripley's false equivalency of well you, you nobody abuses you at your job well we're not public performers well we are but most people aren't public performers rhea so you're way off base here you're totally out of line um you are a public performer and unfortunately uh, look rich um did this fan who yelled, you suck, don't come back, did they use profanity? Rich? No. Did they use profanity? They did not. Did they say anything offensive to Max? Uh, no, nah, I mean, you could, you could say, boo, you suck, don't come back is offensive. I, not, I would disagree. Not. When I, I disagree. say offensive, I'm talking about something sexist, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, racist. No. That's what I mean when I say offensive. Was there anything in that sort of direction? Um, so what the fuck is the problem here? I mean, this is utterly ridiculous that this has even become a discussion point. Um, and again, I don't necessarily blame the fan. 
fans can say whatever they want. And actually, that's the whole basis of this. I'm defending the the fans saying whatever they want in that arena to Maxine Dupree. Yeah, within, within reason, obviously, not no offensive, profanity, sexist. nothing offensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, like, like, you suck is the most common boilerplate thing that fans will say at sporting events. You go to any sporting event in the world, and you will hear you suck countless times uh, during the course of that event. That's not something over the line or offensive. And the don't come back part, so what? You know, it's pro wrestling. You pick the people you like, the picky people you don't. You cheer the ones you like, you boo the ones you don't. And you say things like, you suck, don't come back. It just sounded like a fan having fun at a show. You can hear another fan chuckling. And this idea that they were disrespectful to this poor rookie. When she turned around and put her hand up to the crowd, yeah, a lot of people were booing. Half the crowd cheered her. Half the crowd cheered her. The other half booed her. That's that's a performance. That's that's sports. Pro wrestling, the basis of pro wrestling, is the is an interactive event with fans. If they're gonna like some people, they're not gonna like some people. And as long as fans aren't crossing any lines, which these fans did not, if you okay, let me put it to you this way: if you think you suck, don't come back is verbal abuse you're out of your fucking mind i'm sorry there's no debate to be had there's no middle ground you are out of your fucking mind if you think that constitutes verbal abuse it doesn't it's common boilerplate heckling that you'll get at any sporting event in fact it's rather tame if i'm being honest it's tame that's tame heckling and you know Maxine Dupree herself hasn't complained. She hasn't said a thing. Yeah, I, I, I kind of do feel bad. I, I do wonder if she doesn't even want to be involved in all this and, and somehow has gotten involved in all this. It's probably pretty embarrassing for her, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's and, 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 the, and, you know, as many have stated, the fact that she's a rookie and has only had 13 matches, that you know, that's the company's fault. Yeah, it's not my fucking there. problem. I'm sorry. And it's <laughs> not your problem as a paying ticket buyer. And again, you can, you, as a as a fan, you can boo and cheer or, or whoever you want, as long as you're not being offensive. Which this was not. This was nowhere close to being offensive. Okay, maybe this one fan in this random twelve second clip was a fan of the opponent and was having fun at a wrestling show. Right, she was facing Nia Jax, and I believe it was in somewhere in California. Nia Jax's front. So maybe you were just thinking, hey, you know, Nia Jax happens to be very fucking over right now with the WWE fan base. Right. There's like this Nia Jax, they think she's doing phenomenal work. Yeah. You know, I think it's telling that people assumed it was because Dupree sucked. When it very easily could have been a Nia J- someone who likes Nia Jax heckling her opponent. In a very tame way. Ole Anderson got stabbed by a guy, by the way. <laughs> like the fact that in the very same show that we're talking about Ole Anderson, who was stabbed multiple times by a guy and needed serious medical attention, and the guy was convicted of, a, of a, an assault with a knife on the same episode. We've now moved 30 years later in pro wrestling, and boo, you suck, and now we're getting tisk-tisked by wrestlers because you have to be nice to the woman who's trying to learn how to wrestle. It's like so demeaning. And that's uh, Jesse Collins wrote a very good piece for us at Voices of Wrestling talking about, you know, what, what I think means you could talk a little bit. And, and I saw Hyon, because uh, there was a bunch of people doing like, you know, what, what annoys you about today's wrestling or whatever. And, and Hyon, who we've talked about a lot, a woman's pro wrestler, she's based out of Texas right now, kind of straight up said, like, we kind of treat women's wrestling with kid gloves right now. We don't have to. It makes it all worse and it makes it all very demeaning. 
it all comes across very demeaning that we can't criticize women's wrestling. We can't criticize, you know, and like you, and like you said, it's always done with this veil of we're immediately assuming that it's they're booing because Maxine Dupree isn't good at wrestling. And we are assuming that Maxine Dupree just can't handle being booed. Oh, my God. Her feeble little mind is just going to explode at the idea of her getting booed. She hasn't said a thing, by the way. She hasn't said a thing about this. But it's all this very demeaning, white knighting, strange thing that we present as, oh, you need to be nice because they can't, you know, oh, you just have to be nice. And it comes across very demeaning as in, oh, you got to be nice to these these women because they can't handle it type of thing. That, that's how I read it a lot of times when it's like, no, nah, just tell her she sucks. It's fine. It's okay. She's a big girl. She'll, she'll figure it out. You know, it either bothers her or it doesn't bother her. She's a, a performer on national television. She works for the, the largest wrestling company in the world. If she didn't want to get booed at her job, yeah. she'd take an office job. She can come work if, at my yeah, office. I don't get booed at my this, office. This, this, I'll tell you that. I right. get booed here because I decide every week to come on to a wrestling thing and do this little podcast, and people talk shit about us all the time. If I just that's wanted part to, of it. You that's part of it. it. If I wanted to avoid that, I would just stop doing this podcast and go back to my office job where nobody boos me at my office, and nobody says shit about me at right. my office. Yeah. I'm sorry. And if Maxine Dupree or anybody else can't handle being heckled or booed or criticized for their performance – they need to find another line of work. Right. I, that, that, I, I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. And again, she hasn't it, said anything. So it, again, it, one of these things that comes across so, yeah, white nighty, demeaning, whatever you want to say, it just comes across like. We have to protect this. Yes. Oh, my costs. God. She must be protected at all costs. flower of yeah. a woman. It's like in that aspect of it. And, and this nonsense I've been seeing where now, look, is there a sexist aspect to this sometimes? Of course. Let's be real here. Okay. Of course. There are people who are going to be harder on the the the, uh, the women's wrestlers than men's wrestlers in these scenarios, but I've been seeing this. Uh, people say that oh, you never see men get treated this way. Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> oh, yeah, I just got stabbed. <laughs> how about how about in this very how about chanting "Die Rocky Die" at Rocky Maivia when as when he was a babyface? How about John Cena for a decade getting booed out of any building he came into? And it wasn't fans playing along with the show like they do with Dominic. They hated that motherfucker. And they they sang along to his theme song, John Cena sucks. John Cena sucks. I have that been in the crowd decade. where some vile things were said about John Cena and to John Cena. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, there's countless examples. I went to a Ring of Honor show in Hammerstein Ballroom where Pac wrestled so poorly that – the fans were chanting, please uh, don't come back. Don't come back and boot him out of the fucking building. And guess what? Gabe never brought him back because he was so horrid. And his career has worked out just fine. How has Pac's career turned out? After we all chanted, don't come back at him at the Hammerstein Ballroom because he was slipping off the top rope and stunk the joint up. That's part of being a public performer. And if you can't hack it, get out. And, I, and there's no indication she can't hack it. She hasn't complained. Right. I don't know what the fuck she thinks about it. She might be laughing it off. She knows she's inexperienced. Get on the company for putting her out there. That's who you need to get on. Not the fans for booing a poor performance when they paid who knows how much money to go watch. I think people did it, and they looked at the average ticket price was about 65 bucks to go to that show. I mean, there's a there's a level of competency you, you expect from the self-professed and what realistically is the top wrestling promotion in the world. Right, right. If you want to go a- to your if you go to your local indie and pay five bucks to get in and some guy comes out and it's a second match ever, yeah, maybe you don't need to be telling this this man maybe or woman or whatever. Yeah, scenario. you can lay off that guy. Yeah. You know, it's five dollars. The dude is not getting paid. 
the, the people are here just for to try to learn. Like, that's a whole different animal than paying $65 to go to a major basketball arena in a town and watch the top wrestling company in the world and so, uh, perform a wrestle for that company. No, no, you that, that's fair game. I'm sorry. That's fair game. And again, I don't want to derail the point because I think it's okay to boo someone for stinking to join up. Don't make no mistake. I think that's that's fine. There is no indication in that 12-second clip that that guy said, you suck, don't come back, because she sucked in the match. There's no indication of that. I don't know why he was saying it. Maybe right. it was, he likes Nia Jax better. Right. I, I mean, she probably know. did. She's not very good, but, you know, I don't know. We don't know that. And it seemed lighthearted to me, like someone else was chuckling. It seemed like the people having fun at a wrestling show, booing someone they don't like. For whatever reason, they fucking feel like not liking them. Okay, if it was because she wasn't any good, okay, that's there's nothing wrong with that. We cannot possibly <laughs> be going down. There's just I this can't new go down this breed. path. This path can't happen. We can't go down this path. There is just this new breed of fucking fan, and it's that company specifically that I don't understand these fucking. And we cannot allow this. And I think it's the company's fault. They've they've taught their fans that. It's not a wrestling show. This is a highly overproduced television show where we want you to react a certain way. We will pump in the booze and cheers to help guide you. And everyone's trying their best and react the way we want. This is how, and and this is the fans that they're breeding (laughs) because of it. These are the fans that they're breeding. These people who don't see it as what it is, a simulated sports event, which for its entire history, one of the most important aspects of it was the fan emotion and interaction. Fans reacting like it's an actual sporting event. And if you don't want to talk about, if you want to sit here and claim wrestling isn't sport, I mean, you're wrong because the fan reaction to wrestling, even though it's worked is the same as you would, and that's the reactions they want. Bands get booed off the stages. I've been to music festivals and have seen bands get booed off the stage oh, where yeah. they couldn't finish their set. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've been in crowds that have done it where they can't, where the band fucking stinks. They're terrible. And they get booed off the stage comics. A lot of people don't notice. I go to a lot of comedy shows. Notorious. I've seen heckled <laughs> comics bomb. They get heckled. They get booed. Okay. That's part of being a public performer. That's part of being a public performer. And pro wrestling is no different than that or sports. You go to a baseball game, you sit in the outfield, and you want you want verbal abuse. You want to talk about verbal abuse? Oh, my abuse? God. Sit in the outfield of any major You're league baseball game. <laughs> any major league baseball team and, and, and listen to what they yell at the opposing outfielders all game long. That's verbal abuse. Okay. You suck, don't come back, is boilerplate, basic-ass heckling. And and it sounded like that guy did it with a smile on his face. He's having fun at a wrestling show. I mean, geez, we can't seriously be going down this road. And Rhea Ripley is completely out of line. She is completely out of line. It's part of the job. Just like in our small little way, like Rich said, we're going to put this podcast out and like has happened every week for 12 years, people are going to fucking shit on it and tell us we're wrong and how much we suck and how our opinions are terrible and how the show stinks. And, and in some cases, how they want us to be dead. 
That's what we get every week for 12 years. Okay? And that, and like Rich said, if I if that's too much for me, I'll stop doing the fucking show. Grow up, Rhea Ripley. Grow up. I didn't think this was going to fire me up. I thought we were going to have fun with this, but it's ridiculous. Uh, it, it's bad. You know, it's a bad path to go down. It's a terrible path to go it's down. A we can't, we can't go I'm down. I'm watching this debate happen, and I'm thinking, I, it's like it was distressing to me. I think it's toxic. It's a toxic attitude to have where you can't be critical. Even in a fun, lighthearted way. You can't go to a wrestling show and shit on the people you don't like. That's preposterous. We can shit on Dominic because they told you you can shit on Dominic. But everybody else you have to be nice to. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I can give you a million historical examples. A million of them. I mean, fuck, that's the whole, that's the, that's the lifeblood of what pro wrestling is. It's really, uh, it's unbelievable. I, I I can't even be, I couldn't believe my eyes that this was right. a real thing. Well, and like when you said, it, it was getting started, piggybacked off like, of a lot of WWE. A lot of uh, like Zelina Vega jumped in, Rhea Ripley jumped in. It was a lot of it was all people in that company, and it's just like fuck. We can't we cannot be telling the fans that this is the way that you need it. When you come to a wrestling show, you must be respectful because this widow widow girl is trying to learn how to become a wrestler. It's like what are we doing? Come on, it's condescending to her. Yes, very condescending to her. That's and that's your point. This is so condescending to the performers. So for other wrestlers to be like jumping in and agreeing, be with this, nice. This, she's this, trying this. to learn. Like she's an eleven-year-old playing t-ball. It's well, like no, to tell the company to have her learn behind closed doors or on small shows on the Largo Loop where she belongs. Then or hey, Rhea, you want to go go work with her on the house shows? Then get her in the ring for twenty-five minutes at all your house shows and teach her how to work. Then if 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 she's just trying to learn, and we have to be nice to her while she's trying to learn, like it's yeah, she it's ridiculous. Yeah. Would would anyone be nice to an NBA player who? Who fucking shoots one for thirteen? Getting called up from the G League? No, he get booed out of the fucking building. Of course he would. Of course he would. And that's part of the deal, and everybody knows that. Nothing offensive was said to this person. Not in those twelve seconds we saw. Ah, this it's 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 utterly and totally preposterous. It's just ridiculous. It's a bad path. So um, it's not a good path. Bad path. I don't like it. Bad path. You know, uh, thankfully, I, I do think most people are on our side of this argument. I, I do believe that. You know, when I first saw the discussion break out, I, honestly, I had not, I didn't see the clip. And I was like, oh, this is just some dumb WWE fan thing like usual. But then as it grew and, and, and Rhea Ripley made the tweet, then I seeked out the clip. And honestly, I thought I was going to hear something heinous. I was prepared to hear the fucking worst. And then when I watched the clip and heard it, I was like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. Rich, I thought it was going to be something awful. And it was so tame. It was like nothing. There's nothing in the clip. I had to listen to it like four times. I'm like, what the fuck am I missing? You suck? Really? (laughs) Nope, I wasn't missing anything. I I thought there was a longer clip. I'm like, is there a longer clip somewhere? What the fuck am I missing here? This is ridiculous. Utter nonsense. Anyway, that's uh, Maxine Dupree Gate. We're we're way over the time here. Absolutely. So that's uh, we are going to. So okay. So for people that are listening on the live show, stick with us. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Joe's going to cough a couple more times. We'll be back oh. in a, in a minutes with the. <laughs> I'm going to cough as well <laughs> for the record. Yeah. Uh, so so if you're if you're on if you're listening live and you want to hear the overrun, 
Stick around. You can hear Don't the go. over unlock. We're, you're, we're, it's going to pause. We're, we're going we're gonna to mute for a little bit. The video is not going to pause. Nothing else is going to happen. We're going to mute for a little bit. Stick around. We're going to go with the overrun here in a couple of minutes. Now, if you are listening on the free podcast feed, the overrun is going to be available on the $5 tier at flagshippatreon.com. Now, what we're going to cover on that uh, uh, overrun is going to be the CML wrestlers losing their visas, uh, the wrestlers that were affected, how it all happened, how it all went down, a little bit of discussion about Elimination Chamber, a little bit of discussion about the Wrestling Observer Awards, and then New Japan Pro Wrestling, MLW, and I think that's it. Yeah, MLW and uh, and, and, it, yeah. and and New Japan. So uh, that's what's going to be on there. So we're going to get Elimination Chamber, CMLL, Wrestling Observer Awards discussion, MLW, and New Japan is all going to be on the overrun. That's going to be available on our $5 tier over at flagshippatreon.com. So if you're listening live, stick with us while we go away for a little bit. A couple minutes, we'll be back. We'll tell you when the overrun has started, so don't go anywhere. And uh, for those free listeners on the free podcast feed, thank you, of course, uh, for listening to this episode and all episodes of the Flagship Podcast. But uh, make sure you get to that $5 tier uh, for the overrun of all those other discussions. And uh, that's it for us. So that's Joe. I'm Rich. And we will talk to you again next time. Take care. Bye. Hey, everybody. My name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.